here in Ireland, everybody remembers Daniel Tomofte, and it's in my DNA, it's in his DNA. And I don't mind people talking about it, to be honest, as a good memory. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Wednesday morning. Jaron Shane with you all the way through until 10. If you want to get in touch, 0879-180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. I see from the, the papers, particularly the English ones this morning, Shane, that it's coming home again. Yeah, it's amazing what 90 minutes can do to, to change a, a country's opinion. Like, it was all down in the doldrums after the USA draw. The performance was fairly brutal, and then... Even half-time, right? Yeah, I know. Senegal in the last 16. It's only little Senegal stand between them and the quarter final in the World Cup. Pitch on me, right? I mean, it's a nice, it's, sorry, I say it's a nice draw. Sadio Mane, a Sadio, a Senegal with super, Sadio Mane. Super jammy without no Sadio, right? Yeah. yeah. No, having said that, Senegal overcame a good Ecuador team yesterday. Um, I won't go beyond good, but Ecuador have impressed so far in the tournament. Um, and they're doing that without Sadio Mane. This is so. how it happens. This is how it comes home, you know? You, you uh, get a bit of luck on your way, you pick your best team. Accidentally, yeah. some players get into form that they haven't been in like two and a half, three years. Looking at you, Marcus Rashford, <laughs> and uh, where you go? I mean, does this not have the bang of uh, an Iceland last sixteen game written all over it? No, 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 no chance. <clears throat> no, <laughs> much better team, much better manager, right? Yeah, I'm not going to say no chance though. But uh, there's always a chance with England that uh, Senegal beat them on penalties. But um, yeah, they were impressive last night. Marcus Rashford is a man anew, fresh with confidence. Um, and look, all the talk six months ago was at the start of this season is he going to be even be in the squad but uh, he's had a good good start of the season with Man United uh, that got him into the squad and now he's proven that uh, he is the player that uh, everyone wants him to be well it felt like he squeaked into the squad right that he, he was like one of the last few people him and James Madison were looking at each other going pretty lucky this is a 26 man squad yeah 100% but uh, like the way he hit the free kick you're like well when he's standing over that free kick you know he can do that because he's done it before Yeah. but uh, to do it on the stage of the World Cup uh, and even the second goal was was typical Rashford pulling in his left. And now let me let me just uh, uh, take, take take a step outside of the whole World Cup dynamic at the moment. If you're Manchester United, you sell him a Christmas and cash in. They can't really sell him. Like, they're I looking know. for they're looking for strikers. Yeah, exactly. Moment. But when you use that money. I mean, I know money, no object. But actually, it kind of might be. If but, I'm selling the club, I ain't spending any of my own money. True, true. But I mean, now that they've got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo's wage bill, yeah, I it's mean, only sixteen million. Only sixteen million. But they can afford Cody Gakpo, maybe now. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you you say keep him? I He's say back. keep him. I mean, you're not going to. You don't want to sell a player that that has played this well at the World Cup. You no, do. You do. You want to cash in. Yeah. Uh, the the World Cup performances tends to be fool's gold when it comes to translation to domestic league. James Rodriguez. Well, James Toroskilachi. Was Miroslav Klose any good, except at World Cups? Yeah. I'm not sure. He big, was grand, not great. Mm, big game player. Um, Olivier Giroud could be top scorer. Yes, you go and you invest a fortune, Olivier Giroud. You're welcome. Rashford could, could end up scoring. He's on. He's joined with three three goals, top scorer in the tournament. If he scores a couple against Senegal, which he well could, all of a sudden you're like Marcus Rashford, golden boot. Who who had Marcus Rashford down as the potential golden boot? Nobody, zero. I'd say in his own house they weren't betting on. No, I mean obviously you know notwithstanding the fact you're not allowed to bet on your own. Of but, course. Um, I say cash in. What do the Man United fans think? Ah, uh, surely not. Well, I don't think any club say say Marcus Rashford was an Aston Villa player. You're, you don't want to sell him now. 
He, he's at the peak of his powers. He's playing well, well in the World if Cup. If Marcus Rashford is an Aston Villa player, this is as good as it's going to get for the Villa players. It's like if, if Grealish was a Villa player and played really well at a tournament, you'd be like, we may as well take the money now because it's as good as it's going to get. The, mm. the celebrity and the whatever the extra tax is. Anyway, Rashford, by this stage, if he'd scored that many goals for Villa, he would already be a Man United player. That's the way it's working at the moment. He's only relatively young. I don't, look, he's in his mid-twenties, Rashford, um, but he still has a couple of years in which to say, yeah, I'm 26, 27, I'm still at my peak. peak. No, I, I look, I, I think, I think you know, there is a potential for Rashford to uh, go on to become the player we thought he was going to become. Mm. Well, if he's doing it now at a World Cup, I mean, clearly he is a, a, a decent footballer. He can play football, Jer. Do you know um, his age? Is he 25, 4, he's, 24? He's 25, yeah. 25. Halloween. He was 25 at Halloween. Okay. So he's just turned 25. He's got plenty of time to be uh, to be sold uh, for a good price still. No, 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 no. His form has been abysmal. His form has been... His injury profile has been really bad. And, uh, yeah, like, look, may- maybe he's exactly the type of striker that uh, the manager wants and him and the other players he's buying, you know, I don't know. If I could... For example, if I could in any way get cents on the dollars with Jaden Sancho, I'd be taking that money back. Well... <laughs> Jason Sancho it's like this is all part of the whole gelatinous gloop of the transfer America round yeah but uh, look I think Ten Hag likes Rashford and Rashford likes Ten Hag most importantly because oh, that's important uh, he plays him and uh, I, th- I think it's I th- look he's got the freedom now under Southgate as well to go and score some goals in this World Cup now that he's got three this, this, there's, there's no ceiling for Marcus Rashford at this World Cup like, I, I think they will beat Senegal I'm, I'm kind of half it's a good game though it's not straightforward yeah, yeah. you're not saying that like it's a handy it's a handy draw it's definitely a week in Senegal obviously one of yeah. the best players in the world has been playing for them but you know I think they're going to feel themselves coming through the tough groups they came through looks like a potential France or Argentina quarter final for England now that's when it gets tasty like Argentina if they finish second in their group and they currently are in second Poland are top and Poland play Argentina tonight so depending on the result of that game, uh, now it could be Poland, but France uh, are the most likely. France are already through as top of their group, right? Yeah, and if they if they win their last 16 tie against either, I think it is Poland or Argentina, the way it's panning out, then it will be France in the quarterfinals. So that is juicy. I mean, that's a quarterfinal. I, I, I can't see the England team beating France on current form. Uh, now, Kyle Walker playing last night. Like it, If you're coming up against Kylian Mbappe... You probably need someone coming on after 65-70 minutes with fresh legs yeah. trying to defend that. So, Kyle Walker getting minutes in yesterday was massively positive on that front if they get that far. Yeah. Now, that might be looking ahead too much for England, but I think you need the minutes in the legs. You're, you're seeing the likes of Trent even coming off the bench. And France, England in the World Cup quarterfinal, that could be good. That could be very good. I'd like to see that. Yeah. And even last night, Jude Bellingham <clears throat> with, um, with uh, Henderson and Rice behind him doing the brunt of the work looked like he had a little bit more freedom to kind yeah. of play. And even though Harry Kane's not scoring goals... He's providing goals, three assists in the tournament so far. So I mean, I know he wants to get in there. Every score, every goal scorer and striker judges themselves on the, the number of times they hit the onion bag. But I think he's he's playing quite well, regardless. So yeah, I'm not I'm not going to big England up too much. But oh, go for it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're brilliant. So far, so their good. Bench is, their bench is amazing, and and like Foden comes in the team and immediately is at the pitch of what he's supposed to be doing. Well, as he proved the point now, Phil Foden, I have to start. Yeah, I do. I do sometimes think that this happens England in tournaments that there's uh, we're not sure what our best team is, mm. and we're going to find out. Because bear in mind, pre-tournament and with Jonathan Wilson on a good bit over the last year, and I was like, let's not talk about England in the advanced. But anyway, I got outvoted, and so we did. And it was definitely like he's going to play with three at the back because he's very conservative. And yet, it mm. hasn't happened. Now, no, does it happen against Senegal? Does it happen against France? I think it might do. Yeah. 
uh, like ordinarily you'd say that not knowing if your best team is a positive but uh, in in this occasion when you're in a tournament I don't know if it's good to be learning on the job I, I, like especially against France you don't want to be changing systems or formations but he's not learning on the job he's going back to what got him to uh, yeah. a, a, a European Championship final like that's the thing that's that's his preferred that against good teams where they don't expect to have a lot of the ball or all the ball or the majority of the ball which they haven't had yet they mm. haven't had to play a good team yet so I don't know it's going to be pretty interesting uh, the Rashford chat has obviously kicked off uh, in our comments uh, 250 million says David McLean or McLean I'm like I mean you know you could easily tempt Paris Saint-Germain surely they like him they've seen him they like he's got his last minute winners there yeah there was that talk wasn't there in the summer about uh, PSG now that felt like Marcus Rashford's agent pushing the PSG talk which I mean is fair is fair juice you want to get your new contract signed up Um I can't see Rashford leaving Manchester at the moment. He's a, he's childhood United player. Thomas Hunt says Rashford won't be going anywhere. Give over, Jar. Ten Hag is brewing something good at United. He'll be a star man. You, know, you can pray it. You can say it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be so. Like six weeks ago, I'd say there were many Man United fans who were like, "Oh, I'll drive him to the airport." And now all of a sudden, like, yeah, he's great. I was, uh, we always loved him. What are you talking about? He's been good this season, and like even that, like he hasn't people. been good this season. He's been good in patches this patches season. Patches maybe, yeah. But I mean, yeah, you have to hold on to players like that. I think. Um, like he, he he has periods where he's very good for three four months, and that can that can be the difference in your season. Like if he comes back for the World Cup with with this confidence on board, I mean, the Premier League can watch out. I mean, United aren't going to be winning titles anytime soon, but uh, in terms of a top four battle, having the likes of Rashford on form is huge. Cody Gakpo is miles ahead of Rashford, says NTV. Senegal will beat England. You guys are sleeping. Um, Il Pacino 88 says can you talk about the total shock of Rob Page has had in this World Cup a manager totally relying on two old crocs who insisted on starting them when it was clear as day they were both done mm. I, I actually don't agree with that I think that like uh, when you're a tiny country with almost no uh, opportunity to change things you have to go with you got to dance with the one who brung you and Gareth Bale brung them and has wrestled them to that point, and that's the like that's the whole story of World Cups. Mm. Small countries where one last magnificent seven style, maybe the the sequel, where they're all a little bit too old to be doing this, uh, and you know many of them die in the end. <laughs> that's <laughs> what happens. Many of them die in the end, but that's as far as Wales are going to go. They're no good. Like that, yeah. and, and that's not again. They've done brilliantly to get here. Can you imagine how bad Scotland would have been if they got there? Mm. Be concerning. Um, like Rob Page was, was very much focused on the positives after the match last night he was being asked even about the second half and he's like nope don't want to talk about it want to focus on these players being so positive you'd be worried about the uh, this re- generation replacing the likes of Bale because they just didn't step up I mean Brennan Johnson comes off the bench who's a Premier League player and he looks crap and like there's a number of Welsh players who are that generation below Gareth Bale in terms of age, who were just like, mm, didn't really step up. Now, the the benefit for Wales getting to the first World Cup since 58 is that, I guess, there is a legacy there and they will inspire, quote-unquote, the next generation. So, Welsh football should be in, in decent shape because they even got to this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, whatever, uh, whatever our difficulties in this country in producing generations of footballers, they do have uh, massive full-time professional clubs and uh, an academy culture that should have produced more footballers more often than Wales have done so you know uh, it's very difficult to qualify out of Europe as we know but the team should definitely be a little bit further down the line than it has been over the last couple of decades I don't know I like. I don't think it's Rob Hayes' fault where uh, England should be beating them Yeah, really every time they play England should beat Wales and it's not really a massive shock and the fact that it ends up 3-0 
you know, Wales were out. If Wales had played England in the first game, it probably was going to be nil all, right? Yeah. Wales would have been able to maintain that halftime. Is that a, is that a point though that the English defence haven't been tested? Let's be honest. I mean, Iran didn't test them. They scored twice, in fact, against them, um, which which was bad enough. And then the USA probably had the better chances than England in that game, albeit it was absolutely dour to watch. And then. Last night, Wales just didn't test them whatsoever. They put 12 men, or 12 men, sorry, 11 men behind the ball in the first half. Like, I, I, I wonder how Harry Maguire is going to step, step up uh, yes, and hold up. Come on, come I mean, on, please don't deny us. There's maybe, also, like, maybe, maybe it'll be messy. I don't know. There's also a massive mistake in Jordan Pickford at some stage in this tournament. I, I think Pickford is maturing. I think he's getting better. Like, there might be a mistake in him, but like, Thibaut Courtois, best goalkeeper in the world, you know? <laughs> Uh, relax lads Rashford has scored against Iran and Wales and you're talking about United cashing in on them come on says Tommy Tommy uh, not a I'm chance. not talking about that I'm not talking about that not a chance his contract is nearly up so no point even thinking about it is his contract nearly up? check, um, his, check his contract here but I, there must be 18 months left which is plenty of time for them to either cash in or for him to force a move uh, the coming home bandwagon is often rolling on results against poor sides gaining speed to the inevitable crash and ritual wicker man type sacrifice that marks the end of England's tournament says Sean Brennan <laughs> who are they burning who is the wicker man this time there's always a fall guy isn't there well, who's it going to be for the World Cup generally you you think they're going out though, right? Like I, I can see Senegal beating them, but but I mean, if they get if they get past that, I, I, like they're they're not going to beat France. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to oh, beat France. I really want to see England France. <laughs> it will be it will be good. When is that? When would that be? Well, I know the the those last sixteen games are like this weekend, this Saturday or Sunday maybe, oh. um, which will be good. Uh, <laughs> he's got a four year contract. Uh, he becomes a free agent in twenty twenty four. Rashford. Yeah, it's so not that far. It's twenty twenty three in four weeks. True. True. Um, no, I can't see United. England Senegal Sunday. Sunday, so, Sunday right. so it'll be the following Wednesday. Do they go Sunday Wednesday for uh, quarterfinals? No, it's, they, there's a whole week. It's, it's right. the following weekend. Plenty oh yes, yeah. Quarterfinal weekend. Friday three o'clock. Friday five. Uh, Friday seven o'clock. Saturday three o'clock. Saturday seven o'clock. That is the best weekend of football for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a World Cup quarterfinal weekend in two days. Yeah, it's unreal on a Saturday and Sunday in wintertime. I mean, like I know we're not allowed to say this, but winter World Cups. I'm, I'm. Don't go there. I'm here for it. I like it. Really? I like it. What's wrong with it? Uh, it does. Oh, it's not sunny outside. It's not sunny outside. It does brighten. You the don't dark feel any guilt about like, oh, I'm sitting in. I'm closing the curtains. Like no. It's good it's for us. Dark outside. But like, what about the players? I mean, the poor players are human yeah, beings. Also, players, they'll be fine. Mm. They will be fine. Yeah, I know, but I mean, just the fact they had no time to, to build up to this tournament. They're, you're with your squad. But some of the Ecuador players were playing Premier League football for five, six days before the World Cup started. Mad. Um, but yeah, and, and the USA as well. We have we can't we have to mention against Netherlands now in the last sixteen. That's a decent tie. That's not bad. Netherlands who? Sorry, Netherlands USA. Oh yeah. I mean, that really. Luis van Gaal I mean here's my again back to my theory that all international sides hate their manager uh, there was a, he was calling one of the journalists out going, why did you go home then if you don't think it's any good go home <laughs> and your man's like I mean it's my job to be here yeah but it's fair uh, the, the um, fans are grinding their teeth on social media he's like well you're wrong it's like I mean not really oh, the other thing is that you can find anybody to say anything on social media and you can use it as a question so like to back it up I, I, I guess it, I mean I'm only reading some transcripts which is obviously a little bit lost in translation as well I'm sure there are plenty of like your football's not very good to watch here Lewis what's the story and you think well you know we're, we just need to um, 
we just need to get out of the group and, and you would make them favourites obviously to beat the USA but you'd give the USA a chance you would uh, now Christian Pulisic's fitness is going to play a part there he injured himself in, in the midst of scoring the only goal last night uh, he does that a lot does he? he does does that <laughs> happen to him a bit? yeah maybe he puts his body in places that some players don't uh, but yeah certainly he he took a nasty looking knock uh, let's just say last night so uh, he kind of tweeted then from hospital from his hospital bed and he oh he's actually in hospital yeah right. he was like I'll be ready for Saturday um, All right. thumbs up and looked looked delighted with, with things now th- there was a very interesting piece from Lindsay Gibbs over in the States from Power Plays uh, talking about the, the money the prize money from this Men's World Cup versus the Women's World Cup the, these stats are mental Jer. so uh, there was 4 million dollars on the line essentially last night for the US men's team because teams that uh, are eliminated in the group stage earn $9 million each but if you lose in the round of 16 you have $13 million secured um, so if you get to the quarterfinals it's $17 million, fourth place team gets $25 million and so on it goes this up and up it, this is for the players this is, well, for, the, for the federation itself I okay. suppose so I don't know how they, they split it then from there on but uh, if you put that in context um, the women's national team uh, for winning the 2015 Women's World Cup they won $2 million in total and for winning the 2019 Women's World Cup they won $4 million in total so it was doubled but um, by the men's getting to the last 16, regardless of whether they lose now against the Dutch, they've secured 13 million. So it's kind of mad. I mean, the the lack of split there. Um, it's just that the figures kind of don't really add up. That's a payout of 6.5 million compared to the US women's national team before US soccer takes its 10% cut, which is more money than the women earned by winning the last two women's World Cups combined. I mean, last 16 knocked out, winning two World Cups. Uh, the gap is, is fairly large. Uh, yeah, it is, uh, and it's 440 million total prize money for the Men's World Cup uh, from FIFA, who obviously get to decide how much of their massive amounts of profits that they're um, sharing. But, you know, the money does come from somewhere. It That's is. versus a pot of 30 million for the Women's World Cup last time, right? 30 is. million versus 440. A lot of it is blood money. Uh, okay, some more quick ones here. <clears throat> if you have a good World Cup, you go to Madrid. It's the rules, says Richard Rebald. I'm like, maybe Madrid. And suddenly, there's two buyers in the room, Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. Now, Real Madrid obviously have some other strikers who maybe... One or two, yeah. Um, maybe they don't need them. But, you know, they can always they can always do with an extra Rashford to swell the numbers. Well, you're talking about players, or like players like James Rodriguez, teams getting carried away and buying these players. Maybe Marcus Rashford's one of those. Maybe we're getting carried away with Marcus Rashford. He was well, class last night, but I mean... That's my point. Does that is your point? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But so you th- so you think you can't? Um, you think Marcus Rashford is going to be like the greatest striker of all time? No, not the at all. This, that he's going to go forth and have this amazing career, be the like dominant striker at Manchester United for the next decade. Sell the sell high, sell high. That's how you get rich, eh? This <laughs> is investment advice. You can take it to the bank, folks. <laughs> don't bother with the terms and conditions. But they don't sell high. Well, Buy low, sell high. How much would they've got for Rashford before the World Cup versus now? Is it well, re- exactly nothing before the World Cup. Everybody's like, this guy's a bust. This is completely something's gone horribly wrong here. I don't know what it is, but he's a bust. And now it's like, oh, look at these amazing goals. I think that's Just take the highlights reel together. <clears throat> I mean, it is harsh, but it's the reality. But he wasn't that. He wasn't. A, he wasn't a bust compared to Sancho. I know you. You're well, yeah, okay. The bar is pretty low there, Shane. Yeah, but I mean, he's going to be over. I'm, I'm, I can, you know, <clears throat> you know, Limbo that's under that one. He's a good. Marcus Rashford's a solid Premier League footballer. He's had a good career so far. I mean. He's come up through the youth ranks at United. He's You're on shaky ground here. Shaky. Keep going, keep going. Keep well, like, look at him at the World Cup. Uh, yeah, he's, he's scored against, as the commenter points out, he hasn't scored against world beaters. But <clears> if he can repeat that form, and I, that's a big if, but if he can repeat it against Senegal, and maybe score a winner against France, who knows? We, we, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but look, he's bounced back nicely. He had missed the penalty, of course, along with Sancho uh, yeah. in Saka in that uh, Euros final. So uh, he's come back and 
head held high so watch out for England ZTV says can't slag our slate Wales really what they've done in football in terms of the last 10 years is outstanding that's true that's yeah. the, the other part of this and you know uh, there are circumstances which led to Rob Page getting the job which uh, obviously haven't quite fully unfolded just yet but uh, academies are global now so young Welsh kids compete with kids from all over the world says Michael up to my point about Swansea and Cardiff yeah but the whole point is that like there are Welsh coaches and there are scouts the first place they look is locally to make sure that they're hoovering up all the best local talent and then they're competing against the best players from around the world and that's actually improving the local talent as well so um, we're miles behind that we're definitely improving in recent years there's brilliant work being done by the League of Ireland academies but it's uh, it's going to be a while before we get there mm-hmm. uh, great point the English defence hasn't had to deal with a pacey attack that can get in behind them says Paul Quirk let's see what Kylian Mbappe can do if for example Argentina were somehow to uh, get through I think England would fancy their chance against Argentina yeah, yeah, but then again, Harry Maguire versus Lionel Messi. <laughs> I mean, there is a matchup that is just made in heaven. Let's let's be honest. That's but it's not it's not Lionel Messi anymore. I know, I know. It's not it's not peak of his powers. But there's other players in that Argentinian team setting up, uh, like setting up nicely in this world. I think Harry Maguire is going to look at Angel Liberi and go, uh, "You're grand." And I think he's going to, you know, I think I think that that would be best case scenario is that somehow France <laughs> overconfident. Go into the that game and think, ah, this is we're going to be fine. So it's definitely going to be Argentina and. I'm fairly sure if Argentina finished second, right, uh, then they will play France in the last sixteen. So tonight's fixture is Poland versus Argentina and Saudi Arabia versus Mexico in Group C. Now the only thing about them finishing second is that it's pretty tricky for them to do that. Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they win, so I, I guess if they win, they'll, they'll with they, and they kind of need to win to be guaranteed to go through unless. Mexico beat Saudi Arabia at which point Argentina and Mexico are level and then I think Argentina have it on head to head yeah if Saudi Arabia win they will qualify they will qualify so Poland are guaranteed progression with a draw Argentina will go through if they win both sides will go through if the, if both games are drawn tonight so it's more than likely if Argentina are going through they go through as winners or they go out essentially yeah yeah. Now, th- th- just, I, I can you can see a which world where it takes Robert, them away from France yeah well that could be it could then be Whoever finishes second, yeah, Poland or Saudi Arabia against France in the last 16. But either way, it's probably going to be France. Uh, if France play Argentina in the yeah, last yeah, 16, yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Argentina could li- could live another day and go a different route. Mm. Uh, the other games tonight, obviously, we'll get to see the French B team take on Tunisia. And it's Australia versus Denmark. Australia, obviously, in the box seat as things stand. But they also would probably need to at least, or they would definitely need to get at least a draw against Denmark. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that. Here's a scenario that's interesting. So Australia will be through if they beat Denmark, which could happen. Australia have been good. But a draw in that game, which is quite likely, Australia and Denmark drawing, would allow Tunisia to get through if they, beat France. if they upset France. I mean, Tunisia beating France tonight... Not that, not, not that unbelievable. No, it's not, because France won't be, won't be all out. Um, I mean, they've pretty much secured top spot, haven't they? They have, yeah. So, I mean... With the goal differences. Yes. Um, so they can afford to rest players. Tunisia will be mad up for that game. Yeah. Uh, so that'll, that'll be an interesting one to watch. Tonight will be a kind of another night of flicking back and forth. It's good that at least there, there's a bit of... Um, there, there are things on the line in these last round of games, so we can kind of flick with, with a bit of ease. Uh, right. If Rashford is a great World Cup, sell him ASAP, says Mark C. Cash in or even cash out. I, I'm in full agreement at that point. And then uh, most important one in the morning so far, David Tomley wants to know, where's the milk tray, Shane? <laughs> Sorry, it's, a, it's, an, it's an Adidas. Uh, it actually looks like a polo. It does look like a does. polo. Do you want me to just bring down the... No, 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 no. Leave it up, leave it up. You, you can carry it off. Yeah, fair. Here's uh, what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. <laughs> Fashion police. Uh, Miguel Delaney is going to join us at 8 from Doha. Frank Graney is going to give us the latest from the uh, Regency trial. Sports News at 
8.40 with John Duggan. Brent Pope is going to join us in studio at 9.50. Did I miss an hour there? I did miss an hour, did I? Um, and uh, he's going to give us the best 15 he ever played against, and then Guillaume Balaga has been talking to Shane. He, interestingly, doesn't think that Leo Messi is going to end up just yet in Miami. That no. there's still one season left for all of us to go and see Leo Messi play in the flesh in Europe. Yeah, in Europe. And now he, he, he says it's, it's, as, it's, it's as likely that he'll be at PSG as any other European team. Okay. So he could move to another European team, but that he'll stay in the continent. Um, don't know what, where that would be or where Messi would potentially be. Who could afford his wages? But uh, yeah, this, this story from, from the Times, Matt Lawton at the piece, uh, and the Times kind of talking about Inter, Inter Miami's links. Uh, and Guy, I'm just making the point that if you read beyond the, beyond the headline, there, you know, there's, there's, there's not much substance to Inter Miami. They're, they're kind of saying, of course, we'd love him. We'd love to talk about Messi coming to the club and open communications, but that uh, nothing is set in stone just yet. So, I mean, it seems like Messi to MLS will happen at some point, but maybe not as quickly as we thought. Well, why would you bother if you're if you still feel like you can do what you're doing? He scored a lot of goals so far this season. Um, why cash in just yet? Like he, he can play in the states until he's 45. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the point. The point is he'll have a relative anonymity in the States as well. Like, Messi could walk down the street in Miami. Yes, he'd be recognised by a lot of tourists. But, I mean, a lot of Yanks just won't know who he is. And that is incredible, considering the global superstar he is. But uh, MLS makes a lot of sense for him. And, I mean, Miami, weather. His family live over there already, I think, in Miami. So, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. He'll be over there at some point. But I, I just think, yeah, the Guillaume Balaguer's point is that he, he just won't maybe move as quickly. He also spoke about Luis Enrique when that, that interview coming up with Guillaume uh, later on this morning. Uh, and Luis Enrique, such an impressive figure for, for Spain. Like, I don't know what the, the thoughts are overall on him in Spain, but he, from the outside looking in, he's a very likeable ah, guy. Like, and, and like looks at life generally as opposed to just football and realises there are more important things. And Even on the day of the, the Germany game, he's posting about his daughter, Hannah. Um, what, that would have been her 13th birthday. She, of course, passed away a number of years ago. So uh, really has a, an outlook on life that is admirable and certainly takes that into his footballing philosophy as well so Guillaume full of praise for, for Luis Enrique I think Luis Enrique is the manager that Roy Keane wishes he was mm. and could have been if there was just a little bit of that extra like understanding uh, of the rest of the world mm. that is missing from Keane that makes him such a great pundit and that made him such a great captain and leader but um, is the bit that's lacking in his managerial stuff like if he le- if he leads Spain to a World Cup and he well he could I mean, he's... So, now that we're at this stage, who do you want to win? Um, with Brazil, without Neymar, I kind of want them to win even more. I wanted them to win before the tournament. Now, uh, want as in, like, you'd be delighted for them? Yeah. Not like, I, I've picked them to win and I'm going to stick and I'm going to look impressive to my mates because I picked this. No, no, I did pick them, but it's hardly, it's hardly a revelation that I'd pick Brazil. I mean, I'm Come not, not going yeah. you know, to take any credit for picking Brazil to win the World Cup. I think the winner of the election will be either the Republican candidate or the Democrat candidate. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I like, I like that Brazil team. Um, I, I even, I never thought I'd say this, I even like Richarlison. I actually kind of like him. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, my, my pre-World Cup theory um, that they all thought he was a bit of a dick has obviously been blown up. Um, <laughs> I see nothing but Richarlison love and stands all over the place now. Yeah. Um, I want Vinicius Jr. to win it. I think he's like a very important character in world football, becoming a very important character, and mm. uh, I'd be happy for him. The rest of them, I'd be like, oh, no, no thanks. Really? Yeah. So Spain, I would much rather yeah, lose Enrique, Enrique and, and the Barcelona kids to see what happens with them. Like um, they could go on to become 
Mm. Even better, more important in world football than Mbappe. This is like a, and the birth, it's too early for them probably. Like it's far too early. A nineteen and an eighteen year old. Yeah, twenty and a nineteen year old. It's too early for them. But imagine if they did it. Wouldn't yeah. that be amazing? Well, it's process of elimination. So I, I, I don't want England to win it. Um, shock horror. I, 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 the France can. France won it last time. So Mbappe's won his World Cup. Uh, yeah, I, you know they are playing really well. They're good to watch. They're like I, I'm surprised at how creative the response to be to the injuries has been from the manager. I thought that maybe he'd just stick another clogger in there, but actually he's gone with guile and interest. Yeah. Uh, Argentina, um, I'm 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 not on board. This whole Messi wants want him to win his World Cup. Messi's been taking the Qatari money for years. Uh, I just don't really see it. I like the Argentinian shithousery at times, but don't really want them to win. Yeah, Brazil. I just like Brazil. This is a Brazil without Jair Bolsonaro and without his fanboy Neymar uh, involved at the moment. So he'll come back though. He'll be the one picking up the trophy. Like, oh, we'll do it for Neymar. You can see it becoming. A- Look, if it's a Spain Brazil final, I think ultimately I'll be I'll be on board with the, with Gavi and Ped- Pedri and all the all the boys. Literal boys. Anybody else? Uh, Anybody else you'd like a- to see? ABE. Senegal next and, and maybe France in the quarters. All right. <laughs> Sorry, England, but I mean, we got we got to do it. I had the Welsh socks on yesterday on air and brought the Welsh bucket hat out from the crappy quiz again, so it didn't really work. But it didn't. Um, I'll it try didn't. And you weren't particularly inspirational, unfortunately. No, not at all. Uh, have you seen this? Uh, do, you know, do you know who Chesney Hawks is? Uh, I am the one and only. Yeah, yeah, the song. Yeah, 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 yeah. One hit, is that a one hit wonder? Or? He is a one hit wonder. Right, yeah, he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. when you know there's a when you open up the OED and it's like you get down yeah, yeah. The, Jesus, that was oh, a big moment. That was a big moment. Oh, and she and used to fail a lot of these pop culture tests. He did. From, from he, did. he did. I'm glad to have yeah, passed well done. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, England were the one and only team playing after the break. Says the Sun. This is their back page headline. Uh, England was just. Trashed Wales, local derby winner, and they're like, this is great. The one and only, ah, W-O-N. Yeah. Uh, Bale Misery is Phil and Marcus belt out the one and only. Right, so Chesney Hawks was the halftime... I was there. He was literally ah. serenading the crowd at halftime. He's taking that hot, hot Qatari dollar. Thanks very much. Not bad. Well, you know, if you, if you had one hit and you're still desperately, you know, you need to cash in on it all these years later, I can... I've got a little bit of sympathy with this. Yeah, and when the title of the song is the one and only, it makes sense for a halftime. I rem- that reminds me of uh, Bonnie... Was it Bonnie Clyde sang Totally Clips of the Heart? Or Bonnie... Was it Bonnie? Tyler. Bonnie Tyler sang Totally Clips of the Heart. Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde was, of course, the infamous uh, couple. Um, the Total Eclipse in 2021, I think it was, in America, Bonnie was taken on board a, a cruise ship and set out to the middle of the ocean. And uh, just at the moment where the sun reached totality and the total eclipse happened, she started singing total eclipse of the heart to all these massively rich human beings on board the cruise ship. So that reminds me of Chesney Hawks. I mean, the the, the song is perfect for the moment, and uh, why not cash in? Take the money and go. You know, if you've got a one-hit wonder from years ago that suddenly fits a narrative, then stick the money in your back pocket. That wasn't one of the cruise ships hit by COVID, obviously, was it? Uh, potentially. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just prior to COVID, possibly. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, the Dark Horse Denmark looking like a depressed Shetland pony right now, says uh, Stephen in Dublin 3. Um, a reference to my, my picking Denmark as Dark Horses, because if so, I hold my hands up. I got it wrong. I got, I got it wrong. Um, Denmark uh, just haven't been good. Uh, it's not over. Look, it's not over. It's not over. But uh, what, I, I thought they were Dark Horses as in get to a semi-final or final, and I don't think that's on the cards the way they've played so far. Look, things can turn around for teams. We know that in the World Cup, but... Yeah, I, I'd hold my hands up on that one. No, I did pick Casemiro, as I said yesterday, as player of the tournament, and I'm still 
standing by that as, a, as an option. He played really, really, really didn't well. Didn't you have Fred to be the, no. the most important? Uh, didn't you like literally sit in that seat like last week and say, oh, I, I think Fred's going to have a massive game here and be hugely influential? Massive game, but I said Casemiro, player of the tournament. I'm nearly sure. I look, I look, look, I look back at the tape, but um, I'm, I'm open to correction on that, but I'm fairly sure Casemiro was my, was my man for player of the tournament. Um, yeah. But I mean, Mbappe so far is the player of the tournament. If uh, France can keep it, keep, it, keep her lit. Uh, you, you were saying as Marcus Rashford. Uh, Il Pacino also wants to, uh, can you talk about the lack of dribbling in this World Cup how many times have I seen a wing back or winger have a one on one and never even have a goal the lack of invention is shocking I, I suspect it's been well a lot of the dribblers aren't getting picked first off and then it's also like the the preeminent importance of possession uh, versus you know this is going to look great in our stats and we don't want to get the ball away and then I'm going to end up being told out afterwards so I, I Maybe, maybe Jack Grealish and Phil Foden are going to erupt into the tournaments. Yeah, well, wasn't there a moment in the first half yesterday where England, towards the end of the half, remember Foden had a half chance over the bar and there was ticky-tacky football all along the right-hand flank for, for England and I was like, this is, this is really good. And it was just one touch, uh, which, which, which kind of goes against the whole theory of you know, keep the ball, keep possession for a certain period of time. But England looked, England looked good on the ball last night and um, yeah, I, I take the point that there hasn't been much ingenuity down the wings, maybe. Um, Mbappe notwithstanding but yeah it, it, we're reading too much into it I think um, teams with a little bit of uh, guile out wide will end up winning this World Cup no doubt um, and a nice mix of bl- a blend of youth and experience I kind of spoke to Guillaume Balaguer about that as well the Belgians have been putrid because they're too old in many areas of the pitch Spain have the nice mix they have Pedro and Gavi who are young but they have Busquets behind them who allows them to kind of express themselves so are we underrating mix? Croatia is there a possibility that they can come with a yeah for sure like uh, one, of, one of those weird teams is going to reach the semi-finals 100% and like Modric wasn't the main man in the last day and like yet they still managed to, to win a game 4-1 um, Mateo Kovacic was brilliant against Canada just completely stood up and he was highlighted after the game and rightly so so, uh, so beating a good Canadian team 4-1 who by the way qualified top in, in their qualification campaign um, was, was, no, was no mean feat um, so yeah, I, I think Croatia could be one of those teams that look. They got to the World Cup the last time out. They're hardly dark horses anymore, but could they do it again? Absolutely. Keep your comments coming in on YouTube, or you can get us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter as well. Two other quick stories that we just want to talk about. Um, there's a great story in the back of the uh, London Times this morning. Um, Jones coach may quit after weeks in job. So I don't know if you've been paying attention to Eddie Jones, but there's been this sense that like his relationship with his staff has been, you know, uh, old school, to say the least, that a lot of them find it difficult. You know, there was talk of some people kind of working such long hours that they ended up sleeping at work and then they came in the next day and the pressure that they felt to deliver for him was was very high. And obviously then they reached the World Cup final and uh, everything was forgiven. But it turns out that they hired a performance coach. His exact title was something about um, training improvement or something. It was a weird title. Danny Carey is the guy's name and... He was uh, head of the GB hockey team for 17 years. It looks like he's on the verge of quitting after six weeks. He can't hack it. He's there to change the culture. Culture's not great. We are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go to Qatar to talk to uh, Miguel Delaney. Back after this. OTB AM. It's eight minutes past eight. Now, in the ad break there, you heard Kathleen McNamee, Emma Carroll, and Emma Byrne talking about the latest, uh, about the WSL team of the season on the latest episode of the Koi Gig Pod, which is brought to you in association with Cadbury FC, official stack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Let's go to Qatar and say good morning and hello to Miguel Delaney. Miguel, how are you doing? Good morning. Not too bad. Not too bad. 
Um, any trends that you've noticed so far in terms of uh, how the best teams are playing over the course of what's nearly the end of the group stages? Um, I'm not sure. I think it's probably been just too few games for trends. Uh, the one thing I would note, and I suppose this was kind of predicted before the tournament began, is that there's a bit of a split between very young and fresh top teams who I, I suppose would be Spain, England to a degree, despite Southgate being there six years, but it's still quite a young squad. Um, Brazil, uh, and then these kind of teams that are arguably on the wrong side of a cycle, kind of, uh, gone a bit stale, Belgium being the standout. Uh, it, it, it doesn't mean it's kind of definitive. Uh, Germany, actually, another example and all that, despite Flick coming in, because they, they almost seem a bit of a halfway house. So it's not definitive, given I would have put Croatia in that group, but they, they've almost took, took advantage of Canada's inexperience. Um, but it'll probably be kind of until the, really the, the last 16, the quarters, when a lot of these coaches have had two, two to three weeks to prepare. They will kind of see proper footballing trends. And also when you see kind of the real split in the competition between those there to kind of, I suppose, have a go and then those who are really serious about actually winning it. Yeah, and that um, that level of seriousness about uh, those teams, I, I suspect that the, 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 there isn't that, that significant gap. There isn't one team who are absolutely miles ahead of everybody just yet. Like, Brazil are good, but they're not absolutely sensational just yet. And that's why this World Cup is right there for probably six or eight yeah. teams. But I, I mean, I, I would have said the most open to 2006. And I know people can point to how um, Germany weren't the favourites going in 2014 and France think were maybe, I'm not sure if they were, if they were full favourites going in 2018. But you could obviously see as the tournament went on, when you put it in its wider context, that these, like, they weren't just uh, teams as in the kind of the first 11s and the squads coming to a peak. Spain, Germany and, and and France were all teams that were kind of the products of these longer term overhauls that have become basically, that have basically dictated international football for the last two de- decades where these wealthy Western European co- uh, countries industrialised youth production and England are the latest to do that after Spain, Germany and France. So uh, m- maybe that's a, ominous for anyone that's a bit uh, <laughs> uh, reticent about the words is coming home. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I think in, in, in this competition... It, it, there, there is no super favorite like that. There's no kind of team that's complete. Uh, I think from all the games I've been to and what I've seen, the team that reached the highest level in any, in any one game, in fact, it was two games really, was Spain. But even in that second game against Germany, when I thought that for 20 minutes they were excellent, you can still see they're flawed. And I think like the biggest flaw with Spain almost seems like they're, they're actual, they're inexperienced. It, it feels like it might just be a cycle too soon, um, which kind of, which, with that inexperience almost feeding into, at times, a real kind of almost naive overconfidence about what they're doing because they were willing to take absolutely any ball on or try any ball, no matter the area of the pitch. And it did put them in danger a few times. But that said, I mean, despite that inexperience, maybe that's their flaw as well as a, a few a few positions in their starting eleven. Uh, but again, g- given how open this competition is, that might not matter. Because I think... I think it's something I must say that, that struck me after that that, that Spain Germany game, especially given that the Germany have suddenly been given a chance again. In in that when we think of teams that can win a World Cup, we always have kind of these imagined ideas of perfection, uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, and there's a lot of champions who have won it, who have been big nations, but haven't necessarily been absolutely complete teams in that way. Although the last of those was probably Italy 2006. We might have another this year. You were in the uh, the England Wales game last night, Miguel. Um, 
What, what was the atmosphere like? Because I guess it's one of those games where you'd expect a little bit of an atmosphere. Chesney Hawks maybe helped at half time, I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, I found it quite a strange occasion, I have to say. I mean, it was the first time I was in that stadium, which is one of the, which is one of the smaller stadiums. Uh, and to be honest, it was really weird. It, it didn't feel like I was at a World Cup match. And obviously, so much about this really controversial tournament is quite alien uh, in terms of kind of the, the football staging, I would say. Um, and also elements of, of Qatar, not least the fact that it's propped up by an underclass of people as it puts on this kind of... Uh, veneer, it, the, the whole thing is surrounded by artificiality, I would say. But um, but in this game, I mean, even like the first game where I felt like you, this is a real, this is a World Cup atmosphere. Say Argentina, Saudi Arabia, because almost the time of day actually, and but also it, there were so many fans from both countries. Now there are fans about Wales and England here, but I'm not sure what it was. I think it was something about the occasion, the fact that yes, there was something on the line. It wasn't that much on the line because it would have taken a huge turnover for England not to qualify or finish top of the group and for Wales to get through. And it did just feel like almost kind of one of these friendlies between these two nations at some regional ground in England with that obviously accentuated by uh, by Chesney Hawks inexplicably coming on at half-time. You, you strike me as a fan. Are you a fan of Chesney? Uh, well, I couldn't say I know any more than one song, which I'm sure is the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Same for a lot of people. Yeah, fair. <laughs> um, I guess the performance from England last night it, it's hard to it's hard to really judge where they're at after after the Welsh game the Wales haven't been impressive at all but uh, is Southgate getting any closer to knowing his best 11 or does he need to even uh, I, no, I, think, I don't think Southgate knows it has to know his first 11 cause it can, and I think one of his strengths and he, has, he does get a lot of criticism from a fair but one of his strengths is kind of um, the way he uses that first 11 to kind of um it's a, it's a little bit like Graham Potter, if in a different way, in terms of it involves everyone, ensures no one, no one is really fixed in the team by the centre halves. But I suppose that's actually another issue because I think it's paucity in that area. And I, th- I think the biggest question for England was really kind of really nailing their identity, which they, it still doesn't feel com- they completely have. And like Southgate touched on this, he touched on it after the USA game where he talked about like they're still almost, they can be two different teams. In one game, they, were, they got the defence right. And, and USA did really press them, to be fair. And in the other games, they got the attack right. And there hasn't been a match yet where it's both come together at the same time to, I suppose, complete England the way we were talking about. And, I mean, you can't judge too much from Wales. Because Wales, like, they actually they reminded me of Ireland, say, in in Europe, where it was clearly, by that point, a tournament too far. Maybe that, that player has missed a World Cup at their peak, as we did in 2010. Um, and they were kind of, I mean, they, they made it difficult for England in the first half. And actually, I, I would have questioned Snowgate's Midfield in the first half, but when, once England went ahead with a free kick, Wales had to come out, and that was kind of that. So it was a bit of a difficult game to judge. And now, and their their last sixteen game on Sunday was a completely different challenge because Senegal are one team that England have never played before. Um, it, it's possible that he goes back to three centre backs at some stage in the tournament. Is it possible he does it against Senegal, or will he continue with the team that he's used in this tournament so far? Because we were having this conversation earlier. We've, we've talked with Jonathan Wilson a good bit over the last 18 months or so and he makes the point in the big games where Southgate believes that they're going to have less of the ball he plays three at the back and that hasn't gone away just because this tournament has started the way it has Yeah and that forgiving group for me it'd be a huge surprise given everything we know about Southgate if he didn't go for three at the back against the bigger nations because I mean it, it almost creates this sort of contradiction about England in this sense and obviously like they're absolutely stacked in the forward position so many Brilliant attackers. I mean, I was actually just watching some Spanish television last night just about to see what they were saying. And we got on about 
that you know we in awe of the depth that England have in, in the forward line. But the kind of contradiction to that is they are quite thin uh, in the centre, particularly in centre half, and and the midfield has been a bit of an issue, and he can't quite find the right mix. So to counter that. Serge basically tends to fill those areas to make England difficult to break down at the cost of one or even two of those attackers. So it means we have fewer of his best attacking players on the pitch. And that's, I suppose that's made Mason Mount a bit of a lightning rod because he's a really good player, tactically very good, important for important for how England press and how he links the midfield to attack. But he's not one, he, you wouldn't consider him one of these kind of one of England's better players to watch in that regard, one of the, one of the, one of the flair players, kind of the, the lightning attackers. And he, he couldn't be. Putting that, putting a player like that in almost makes Serge seem more rigid than he is. But yeah, it's, it's almost because they've got so many good attackers, Serge feels the need to actually be more protective. Uh, now, again, there are bigger debates there over whether a coach like Luis Enrique say, would actually just completely front load the team because he play a different approach. But this is Serge to A. And a lot of debate about Serge as well. I mean, it's something that's overlooked in international football, uh, particularly as regards kind of debates over people like Roberto Martinez. And it could yet be influential in this World Cup, but very few top coaches want to manage in the international game. They, like, I mean, Luis Enrique and Hansi Flick stand out because they've had a recent club success. And they're kind of only in international football because of circumstances in their career, a little bit like Antonio Conte in 2016. But like Luis Enrique, especially, I mean, if he left Spain now, he'd probably walk into an absolutely top job. Uh, and that's something else that could kind of dictate things over the course of tournament. And it's where there has been questions about Serge when it comes down to those kind of exacting games against the very best teams or the very best coaches, you might say, he uh, he's always kind of outthought in some way. It's, it's amazing, Miguel. Like <clears throat> Marcus Rashford, we've been talking about him a lot this morning, and, and like what a performance last night, and the fact that he's now on three goals, joint uh, top scorer for the tournament. Uh, and look, you pointed this out in your match report last night for the Independent. Like the the scary thing is regardless of his performance last night and the fact that he's joint top scorer, the debate will still rage now as to whether he actually starts the Senegal match. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and especially given after the... And I suppose this sums up one of the kind of issues for Southgate and also England's strength and depth that after the Iran game, all the talk was, we can't leave Sack out. That, 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 was, that, that ran through the camp. Um, so... And, and then, of course, you got the Foden issue given that that was the one that dominated this game. Um, I mean, when it comes to that, you know, it, it, it does get to those situations where you, where you almost think, well, why doesn't Sergei play three of those forwards behind Gary Kane? Or even, well, I mean, a lot of people might say drop Kane given he hasn't scored yet. That's just not going to happen, though. And, and Kane, I mean, given he's one of the few number nines in this tournament, he's, he's worth banking on. Uh, but then, of course, you get to the issue, if Sergei plays three of the forwards to accommodate a Rashford and a Saka or whichever, uh, then suddenly... You either got to go three at the back, or the midfield is thin. Um, so, or sorry, either either central defensive area or the midfield is going to be thin. So it is the case that Wissowkit has that issue of almost kind of there's there's always one space to fill, no matter what way he configures his team, and that's it. That's England's great flaw, really. Yeah, in most countries, it would seem like it's a wealth of riches, but it's the the point you make about the quality of the manager not having won over the public to the point where they're like well he's obviously the best man for the job because he knows everything about football and until he wins a World Cup or a major tournament they're not going to give him that and like I suppose there is another side to that as well I mean like tactics are only a certain part of it and like I suppose to, I, I, I interviewed Patrice Everett before the tournament began and he was talking about kind of the French squad obviously like Deschamps great quality and Deschamps actually especially before he won the World Cup in 2018 he received a lot of criticism 
in France and beyond for being a very rigid manager in the same way that Southgate was. But what I ever said, what we actually really have to realize about Deschamps is when it comes to a tournament, he's absolutely brilliant at rallying that kind of spirit that a team needs. Because that, that even, even in football in 2022, where it's absolutely dominated by pressing and counter-pressing and there's so many technical and tactical aspects and so much sports science, a tournament is such a specific thing because of the way it's such a kind of a concentrated period of time. And psychology, as we can see with Argentina almost more than anyone, psychology of it matters more than anything. Because and teams can suddenly get on that on that run, something can click. Deschamps is evidently excellent at that. But it's also one thing Soke is good at, and he's good at kind of capturing the tone around a team and setting the right mentality. He's really good with the players, a very good man manager in, in that way. And I think it's it's something that's often overlooked. Amid, um, amid all the tactical scrutiny on Southgate. Well, if you consider how England have crashed out in previous tournaments where that has not, where there hasn't been a Southgate figure who's been able to manage that properly, like basically all the way back to 1990, they've had some misfortune because the manager has not had the emotional intelligence to deal with the players or the players have not had the emotional intelligence to deal with the tournament and they haven't had somebody to be able to help coax them through. And just one last thing before we let you go. The... Um, the, the Spanish cycle being too early for the Wunderkinds, uh, if it wasn't to be, if they were to, to make it, like when you were talking about the Germany game, that game finishes one off. That's a knockout game. And yeah. if that's a knockout game, it could finish 4-1 to either side and you wouldn't be terribly surprised. Like, and yeah. you, can, you, can, you can literally write that in your head. Like, oh, I see exactly how in extra time the kids decided, yeah, we're going to take this by the scruff of the neck. Or one of the kids makes a horrible error and the team collapses. All of these outcomes yeah. are, are possible. But if they were to win, it's like the birth of something brand new. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm trying to manifest here. The, the one thing actually, uh, watching Spain, obviously being half Spanish as well, so being invested in that side, I, like, it's impossible not to compare them to uh, the 2010 Spanish, or really the 2008, 2012 Spanish team that won three in a row. And um, this, they're, they're, they're better than Spain were in 2006. And 2006 was kind of like a learning campaign. This could be similar, but I do think Spain will go for, further. But there's, like, there's an interesting thing there as well. I mean, as I was watching that Spanish game against Germany, it was, yeah, like I, I was thinking about what the 2010 team would do, especially because the 2010 team, I think, were in the kind of public discourse considered more boring. Now, I would always put that down to the fact that because of the way Spain played, everyone sat back, sat deep against them, and it meant that, that Spain just had to pass and try and, try and be patient, whereas anytime anyone stepped out, Spain would destroy them as as did to Italy in, in, in 2012. But... Um, they, this team does attack in a different way. I mean, they take more long shots. They surge down the flank. They're, they're much more direct when when they're trying to attack, and that's been such a focus of Luis Enrique. Um, you know, but that's at the cost. It can make them a little bit more susceptible. But it did strike me then. Like I, I, I do. This is where the inexperience came in. I think when Spain went one 0 up against Germany in that match, they really I thought they took the foot, the, took their feet off the pedals a bit. Um, and kind of got a bit, it was as if they felt the group was won whereas I think the 2010 team who were kind of obviously really at a peak in terms of age and where they were in their career as they did to Germany in that, in that 2010 semi-final when they went one nil ahead they would have just absolutely killed them with possession and totally controlled the game that's something this team didn't do and it does feel like with this Spain they'll give you a chance but again this, it feels like this is going to be the World Cup of chances and certainly yeah with the way and like there's something bigger there as well because obviously like I wrote this in my preview, especially Sergio Ramos kind of represented this, but uh, I mean, he's he's quite old at this point anyway. But one of the reasons Luis Enrique got rid of players like Sergio Ramos, it's not just to be the star himself, it's for two reasons. A, I mean, this is, <laughs> this comes, comes down to ego, but it does come down to control as well. 
young players are much more malleable. Uh, they don't have the, the career, the experience to start questioning the manager on things or compare it to previous managers. But secondly, young players have much more vigor and intensity so they can run in a way that you wouldn't get. And that's become a bit of a kind of a, a theme in club football as well. Um, and so, yeah, Luis Enrique is doing something different in that regard. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Team Enrique for the rest of the tournament. I've decided that's it. They're my team. Miguel, good stuff. Thanks a million. Great to talk Cheers, to you. Thank Cheers, Thank you. Cheers. Uh, Miguel Delaney in uh, Qatar this morning. OTBIM is brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Today's the last day, Shane. I know. I know. It's why I, <coughs> so I have to shave it when I get home. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Up next, Frank Rainey is going to give us the very latest on the Hutch trial. First, here's Dion Fanning on last night's football show talking about the response of Carlos Quiros to Jurgen Klinsmann's comments. They wanted to make a point about the, the criticism of what's happening in Iran. Mm. Uh, aided by Carlos Quiros, uh, who is actually a disgrace. He really is a disgrace. Yeah, I didn't think I'd spend so much time thinking or talking about Carlos Quiros at the outset of this World Cup. Yeah. He's, no. um, he's really gone yeah, he has. himself out there yeah. on behalf of the Iranian government. Yeah, and, um, and, and found kind of willing, you know, people willing to take it up and willing to be distracted by the stuff he's been, been throwing out. Maybe that's you people are reporting, he's, he's a coach of Iran, people are, are going to report it. Yeah. But I think the stuff, I thought the, I thought the USA team handled it pretty well yesterday. And people can ask it. I, I, like, I, I don't think there's any... Um, equivalence between what's going on in Iran and the issues that, you know, gun crime, you know, gun crime in America, which is horrific, and there is, there is, there is, it, there is something there, but it is not, it is not, there is not an equivalence between the two. That's no. uh, Dion Fanning there talking on the football show last night, and if you want more of that, you can subscribe to the uh, football feed in your podcast app. Now, Frank Rainey is with us, News Talk Court Correspondent. Um, to bring us the latest on the Regency trial. Uh, it's been a while since you were with us last. Uh, where are we at the moment? Well, at the moment, the court isn't actually sitting and won't sit again until Friday because over the past few days, there has been a lot of legal argument over the admissibility of a secretly recorded conversation between Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch as they travelled to Northern Ireland on a date in March of 2016, roughly about one month after the shooting at the Regency Hotel. Now, there were 420 hours secretly recorded by the Garda National Surveillance Unit. They didn't play all of those in court. They were across, I think, five different dates, but the court is only concerned with one date, the 7th of March 2016. And I suppose they played roughly about 10 hours over the course of a few days in the Special Criminal Court and the defence is challenging the admissibility of the evidence as a whole. It's also challenging the admissibility specifically of the evidence after the vehicle, Jonathan Dowdall's vehicle, which had been bugged um, after it crossed the border. They're right. challenging extraterritoriality in relation to, to that. So there, there is a lot at stake here with this evidence. Um, and we won't find out until Friday whether or not all of it will be allowed, will be considered inadmissible, or whether portions, specifically the recordings, after they cross the border will be allowed into evidence. All right, this is really interesting. So, um, because it's the Special Criminal Court, obviously, they play the stuff, the judges listen to it, and then they decide whether or not they're going to take it into consideration, as opposed yep. to if there was a jury trial there, the jury wouldn't have heard it in the first place, or maybe they would have heard it and then they would have been told, disregard that, which I always find a bit like, yeah, yeah, make yeah. me forget the thing. This isn't, this isn't Men in Black, you know, I can't yeah. just... 
Oh. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, the recordings certainly wouldn't, if there was an issue with the recordings, and clearly there is, and if this was being held before the Central Criminal Court, for example, where there would be a jury, you're right to say that these recordings certainly wouldn't have been played for the jury because they would have all ultimately been the judges of fact. So the judges have decided to listen to them, but, I mean, bef- long before the recordings were played in the courtroom, the issue was flagged. The defence said that they were challenging the admissibility of it, and the court decided to listen to them uh, in their entire and I did wonder that very same question myself, that when they retire to their chambers and if they do decide to discount, we'll say, eight hours of the evidence heard after they cross the border. I mean, how do you just suddenly forget that? But I mean, judges are the best judges of fact. Um, so perhaps that's an easier task than it is for mere mortals like myself. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and... Uh, so they're at the moment deciding amongst themselves kind of the way the Supreme Court would go off and like and then come back and uh, announce and then that's like a massive moment in the trial because obviously we know what's in the what's what's been in the uh, tapes has been recorded sorry broadcast in the court and reported on mm-hmm. and there's no reporting restrictions no right so we might know this stuff and then might also know that it has not been allowed to be considered. Yeah, but at the end of the day you and I won't be making a decision on Jerry Hutch's fate and I suppose we should point out that he is on trial for murder. Yeah. He is on trial for the murder of, of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel, that shooting at that boxing event back in 2016. He has clearly pleaded not guilty. So whatever about the reportage around the recordings and the legal argument that has taken place over the past few days and you know how the judges arrive at their decision and I have no doubt that it will be a very detailed ruling when they deliver their judgment on Friday. It's going to set a precedent, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it will. Um, It has huge implications for trials going forward. It has huge implications for prosecutions and investigations going forward. Because of the nature of the work of um, an organisation like the Garda National Surveillance Unit, we're not privy to the dark arts of how they surveil potential suspects. Okay, so we haven't been told how the tracker was placed and there was a tracker and a bug placed on Jonathan Dowdall's Toyota Land Cruiser. We weren't given any details as to how they were placed, who placed them, for obvious reasons because, I mean, they're the secrets of the trade and and whatnot. But what this judgment will decide once and for all is whether or not an audio device attached to a car that leaves the jurisdiction, in this case Northern Ireland, whether that evidence can actually be used at trial, whether it can be used by an investigation team, as was the case here. The defence certainly seems to think that they can't. On the other hand, the prosecution claims that this bugging device that was put on the vehicle is an inanimate, movable object, and that as long as it was placed on the vehicle in In the the Republic of Ireland and then taken off the vehicle again in the Republic of Ireland and downloaded on this side of the border that it's okay. Now, again, they didn't go into the intricate details of the tracker or the bug, but I think it's akin to something. I don't know if you're a Breaking Bad fan, but I'm currently re-watching it myself. And there is um, a very famous scene where Walter White places um, a tracker on Gus Fring's car. He has to take it off and and download it onto a computer then. And it sounds kind of similar. I mean, they weren't able to listen to the conversations that they were having live. It all had to be downloaded and then played in five minute um, intervals. And that was played, you know, in its entirety. Well, 10 hours of it was played in its entirety in court. Is is that decision then, Frank, that's to be made on the admissibility of the recordings? Is that are they essentially deciding their interpretation of this Surveillance Act or are they deciding specifics around this case? 
the Act has certainly featured because that's obviously what the Garda National Surveillance Unit would have had to operate under, you know, before 2009 when that Act was brought into legislation or brought into effect, took legal effect, I mean, the landscape was was very, very different. When it comes to and would have been particularly used in cases where there were like was dissident threat or, you know, operations focusing on, on, on that level of like paramilitary activity and, and whatnot, this is gangland related, at least that's the allegation. I mean, the whole reason that Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall were travelling to the north on the 7th of March 2016, according to the prosecution, was to meet with Republican contacts of Jonathan Dowdall with a view to maybe mediate or broker a peace deal with um, the Kinnahans, who, you know, the Hutches were in the beginnings of what would be a very bloody feud. That part of it all seemed remarkable, didn't it? That whole kind of conversation about uh, we're going to try and get somebody to broker peace, but at the same time, uh, the assassins who killed my brother will have to go. And, you know, maybe the people who did the Regency murder will also have to go. But that's the price of peace seemed to be. Was that just from reading it? Did that come across in court? Yeah. um, Jerry Hutch could be heard on the recording. saying that he wanted peace and that it was in the Kinahan's best interest as well. Um, and, and again, this was just a few weeks after his brother, as you say, uh, Eddie Neddy Hutch, was killed just a few days after the Regency shooting. He was shot dead at his home in Dublin's north inner city. Um, he said that it was in the best interests of all parties for a ceasefire. Now, interestingly, we heard this meeting took place um, in Northern Ireland with three men in a lane. It didn't take very long. Um, a Northern accent comes into the recording at one point when they pull up and they've arrived at their destination. And then you can hear the men getting out of the car and their silence for a few minutes. They return to the car. This Northern accent is there again. And on the way back to Ireland then on that homeward journey, um, Jerry Hutch is just thinking about that meeting and he's wondering if the Republicans are going to maybe potentially play both sides. So all of this was going on uh, in his heads, in his head. But he certainly said at one point that he didn't want any more innocent lives uh, to die. There was a lot of chat about yokes, which um, I understand to be street slang for ecstasy. Um, and in fact, there was a moment during the car journey and the radio could be heard blaring and they, were, they seemed to be changing the stations quite a bit because at one point there was a long stretch where there was classical music being played. Right. They, were listening to the, <laughs> they were listening to the news. Um, and, and at you one appear point, at any stage? No, no, I didn't. And I, I was waiting. No, I didn't. Um, everything but the girl, you know, that oh, yeah. tune missing from from the 1990s that came on at one point and you hear the banter then where Jerry Hutch can be saying to Dowdo come on we'll go and get a couple of E's and there's a lot of laughter so I mean the conversation the topics of conversation really varied I mean they talked specifically about the guard investigation in relation to what happened at the Regency Hotel Jerry Hutch could be heard saying that he didn't think the guards had anything Um, and and at one point ironically enough as well there was a conversation about secure phone lines about anti-bugging devices Uh, Jerry Hutch accepted that the guards probably had bugged a lot of places on the back of what happened at, at the Regency Hotel and then Jonathan Dowdall was asking him if he'd have any concerns about his home being bugged if he'd any use for an anti-bugging device a device that would be able to tell if he was being uh, recorded and uh, Jerry Hutch funnily enough said no little did he or Jonathan Dowdall know at that point that their Jeep had actually been bugged Did they also uh, predict that a load of mistakes had already been made or did they also assert that a load of mistakes had already been made in the investigation into um, the Regency? Uh, yes, uh, F-ups, 
um, were was the word that Jerry used to describe the the guard investigation. Um, we know from our previous conversation on the show that three men dressed as guardy holding AK forty sevens stormed the boxing event at the Regency Hotel. But there were also two other gunmen: a man that we now know to be the deceased dissident Republican Kevin Murray, uh, who was wearing a flat cap and has been described throughout the trial as flat cap, and there was also a man dressed as a woman wearing a wig. Um, both of them had had handguns and there was a getaway driver. So six people in, in total in this um, hit team. And uh, Jerry Hutch could be saying that uh, they didn't know who the six were. And he said, sure, the six don't even know who the others are. But then specifically in relation to Flat Cap and the man dressed as a woman, he did remark on a photograph that was published in the Sunday World. This was a photograph that was taken by a very brave photographer who was working on behalf of the newspaper that day of uh, Flat Cap and the man dresses a woman with their uh, handguns clearly visible in their hands fleeing the Regency Hotel in the aftermath uh, of the shooting. And Jerry Hutch is talking to Jonathan Dowd all about that and he said that they would be 100% certain who the people in that photograph were but everything else was speculation uh, according to Jerry Hutch. Do we know, Frank, from the nature of the, those recorded conversations exactly what they wanted from the Republican meeting? Did they want protection from the Kinnahans? Did they want negotiations in a peace deal or was it exchange of weapons? Do we know nature of what they were exactly up there for? It, it, it seemed to be, and it's a prosecution's case, the reason they travelled there was to broker a peace deal. Um, you may remember from an earlier appearance on the show where I was discussing the prosecution's opening speech and Sean Galan, the prosecuting barrister, said that in due course, Jonathan Dowdall will take the stand and give evidence to say that in the weeks after the shooting, he met with Jerry Hutch in a park in Whitehall in Dublin and he will claim that Jerry Hutch told him that he was a part of the hit team that hit team obviously was the one that stormed the Regency Hotel and shot David Byrne a known kin and associate dead so Jerry Hutch apparently and again this is evidence that Jonathan Dowdle has yet to give but in the prosecutor's opening address he said that Jonathan Dowdle will give evidence that Jerry Hutch then wanted him to bring him to Northern Ireland to meet with his Republican contacts. We know um, Jonathan Dowdle was obviously a Sinn Féin councillor in, in the past he no longer is um, and he wasn't at the time but we heard that this meeting was apparently to broker a peace deal. But Jerry Hutch was a little bit concerned leaving it. And he talked about the strength of the Kinahan organised crime organisation. He described them as akin to an effing army. And there was a discussion whereby they were talking about, I suppose, you know, the previous history of the Republican armed movement and how there was a sense that the Kinahans had actually become bigger. And there was a concern that perhaps, you know, the power that these groups would have had in Northern Ireland in the past to broker a deal like that, maybe they didn't have that same strength because the Kinahans had gone on to become this effing army, as they said in this recorded conversation. And Jonathan Dowdall did ask how they had got so big. You know, this was two brothers and a father and that was a reference to Christy Kinahan, Christy Kinahan Jr. And Daniel Kinahan, Daniel Kinahan, who founded the boxing promotion group, the gym, uh, MGM, and he has been described before the High Court in Ireland as one of the leading members of the Kinahan cartel. And there's a conversation about how they got so big and Jerry said, you know, that it was about the young fellas, using the young fellas. And Jonathan Dowdall said, it's about money, isn't it? It's about greed. And Jerry Hutch took a moment and he said... 
you know, yes, it's about money, but it's not all about money. It's about power, too. So there was a conversation and an acceptance that the Kinahan Crime Organization was getting bigger. And you have to remember the time and the space that this conversation took place in. Again, just one month after the Regency Hotel, we had a nephew of Jerry Hutch's who was murdered in Spain uh, the previous year. And there is... Um, there is speculation that the Regency Hotel was carried out in retaliation for that. Again, David Byrne being a known Canaan associate. A few days later, you had Jerry Hutch's own brother being murdered and the very next gangland hit would take place, I think, just two weeks after a friend of Jerry Hutch's was shot dead. So, you know, obviously, whatever the purpose of this journey was, if it was to broker a peace deal, we now know, and hindsight is twenty twenty. we now know that it definitely wasn't work. very successful. So Jonathan Dowd up next week. Jonathan Dowdall, we expect, is going to take the stand next week. Um, that would be, I suppose, the way the trial is tracking. We'll have this judgment on Friday morning where they're going to give that ruling on the admissibility of this evidence. And all going according to plan, Jonathan Dowdall is likely to take the stand next week at some point. Um, when we had you in originally, you were like, this could go into the new year. It looks like it's going to go well into the new year at this point, does it? I think so. I think Jonathan Dowdall, I mean, clearly he is the prosecution's key witness because he is going to, according to Sean Galan's opening speech, give that evidence evidence in relation to Jerry Hutch that would clearly be contested so you know one of the main takeaways from that um, from listening to those recordings for days on end was that Jerry Hutch is a man of very few words the same cannot be said for Jonathan Dowdall he filled every silence with banter with nonsense with chat about Conor McGregor you know with chat about asking Jerry Hutch who his favourite celebrity is Imelda May is his favourite singer by the way if you're if you're interested so Jonathan Dowdall is a talker um, it'll be very different so obviously sitting in the witness box at the Special Criminal Court uh, giving evidence against yeah. um, Jerry Hutch and another thing you know that was interesting towards the end of their recorded conversation when they came back to Ireland and he dropped uh, Jerry Hutch off was that he was saying to Jerry as they were bidding farewell to one another you know that he was with him until the death. Those were Jonathan Dowdall's exact words and it's now interesting that he is likely to give evidence against him. And there was also quite a touching moment between them as they went their separate ways where Jonathan Dowdall asked Jerry after he got out of the car to drop him a text when he got home just to make sure that he was okay. So Jonathan Dowdall, if he gives his evidence next week, you would assume that he will be cross-examined at length by Jerry Hutch's defence barrister, Brendan Gren, and we will bring you that word for word. It's like if um, Samuel Beckett wrote The Wire. That's kind of what's happening, except it's all real and it's about a murder trial. It's the, um, it, it's grimly fascinating. Uh, before we let you go, mm-hmm. currently riding high in the podcast charts. Yeah. Busiest, busiest man in Ireland. Yeah, no, it's it's been great. Um, the Charles Self murder is the focus of season two of Inside the Crime. And very, very early on, within a week, we, we were top of the... Christmas tree, so to speak. Um, the feedback has been brilliant. This is an unsolved crime. So I think people are really interested in trying to figure out who did it. You know, Charles Self was murdered 40 years ago now. He was an openly gay man in a country where, you know, it was a hostile country to live in Ireland in the 1980s because what a lot of people, and this is something that's been really interesting, is particularly a lot of young people don't realise that in the 1980s, you know, gay sex was illegal and you could go to prison for it and people were prosecuted for it and gay Charles or uh, Charles Self was an openly gay man um, we don't know why he was killed we pulled the threads at a lot of the evidence 
there are five episodes the last one of which is out next Tuesday and it promises to be a cracker and uh, and it is if you don't mind me just doing doing a plug because the producer Ashley Moore and I have set up um, a dedicated email for people who maybe know something because we are convinced that somebody out there knows something that could bring Charles Self's killer um, out of the shadows so we've set up an email address inside the crime at newstalk.com because we feel that there were people certainly back in the 1980s who may have had information and were fearful of coming forward for fear of exposing themselves as a gay man and for fear of potentially being prosecuted. So there was a reluctance maybe to cooperate with Gardaí within the gay community, uh, rightly or wrongly, back in the 1980s. And if that still is the case, and we do still say, by the way, that the first port of call should be on Garda Síochána because it's certainly a very different police force now than it was 40 years ago. The Garda Confidential Line is 1800-666-111 and that should absolutely be the first port of call. But if you know, 40 years on, people are still reluctant to go down that route. Come to us, you know, we'll follow leads and we'll pass them on to the guards accordingly. And absolutely. It's a great piece of work. You should be rightly very proud of it, Frank. Thanks a million for joining us. Called Inside the Crime. You should subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Good stuff, Frank. Thanks a million. Thanks, right, OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave. Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Time for the papers. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. John Duggan, good morning to you. How are you? Good, Jerry and uh, Shane. Have you seen this Irish lad? Um, Is this the interview at the French TV? Yeah, the keep, and I believe it's after the Denmark game. I'm going to play it here. Guy in Irish jersey just saying, just sweet unbaguette. <laughs> so that's our contribution to the 2022 World Cup. In we're Qatar. still the best fans, so we're not even there. Yeah. How'd you like your baguette? <laughs> right. I, I, you know. I mean, I believe it's. I believe it's in Qatar. Yeah, he's got the Irish jersey on as well, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. 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 And he, it was a beautiful intervention, and uh, the bemusement of the French gentleman. A baguette bomb. Yeah, is uh, it was hard to behold. I have to say. Um, so that's one viral and, uh, did the French think it's funny or are they like uh, everybody uh, think uh, you know, yeah uh, uh, how many views has it got 489,000 <laughs> um, this is what, what the World Cup's all about as was Gian Ian Fantino getting booed last night I don't know if you saw once uh, his picture came on the screen in the England-Wales game and the cameraman quickly the director quickly moved to another piece of footage panned away panned away so uh, he's got full villain status now at the World Cup so what you feel about England, lads? Um, has he stumbled upon a winning formula with Rashford and Foden and Henderson? Well, we were talking with Miguel <laughs> Delaney about this a little bit earlier on. Like, and we've been talking with Jonathan Wilson ad nauseum about the, the, the structure that and how wedded he is to the structure against good teams. He obviously doesn't rate Wales. He didn't play three at the back. No. But let's, let's assume for a moment, right, which is a massive, massive assumption that they get past Senegal and they play France, right? Yes, baguette style. So, do you think he goes to three at the back against France? I do. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I do. I do. Yeah. Um, but who's that going to be? Is it going to be Eric Dyer? He's not been especially in, in brilliant nick. And uh, is it going to be Mount again? Is it going to be Sterling? Like, Saka, to be fair, has, has had a great season. He's playing very well. You couldn't really have any complaints about Bukayo Saka being in a football team but it's the strike jacket it's the handbrake that is still there isn't it and that's the worry with England because Foden has to play and um, 
Well, uh, Rashford's going to understand as an impact sub, but does Zaka have to play? I, I, I would play probably play play Foden and Saka in those wing positions. But what do you do? Do you, do you have a Henderson? Do you have a Henderson and Rice? Do you have Bellingham in there at all? Um, you definitely have Bellingham. Right? <clears throat> but last night, like Bellingham having Henderson and Rice behind him, as we were saying earlier, to kind of mop up, gave him a little bit more freedom. He did, and he's better at that. Yeah. So, like they, they can do this. England can do this, but will they? I think Damien Duff said quite something interesting on the TV last night. He says it's just the weight. It's it's the weight of the jersey. And I think that's on Gareth Southgate. I think that's on the players. And I think that is their problem. And I think that's back to 1966. I think it's the fact that it's utter euphoria over there or it's despair and uh, you're a disaster. How far do you want? There's no in between. It's 100 or zero. (laughs) How far do you want them to get? I don't mind. Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm supporting Harry Kane every single week. So I I don't mind. Um, You're supporting him in a final? Not against Brazil. (laughs) Or anyone? Uh, or Argentina um, I think that uh, I'd like the English players and Southgate to do well I, I think they're a likeable bunch I don't like the other stuff that goes with it uh, the um, the Empire nostalgia I think they're, they're a likeable bunch too but I, I'm quite happy to park the likeable bunch thing and the knowledge that if they won it would be significantly unbearable for quite some time for us um, I think we'd be grand with it would we? Yeah, I think we'd be fine. I don't. I, I actually think that France are a better team. I think that like if they win the World Cup, haven't come through France, where they go? So Senegal, France, who Croatia, or Portugal, potentially, mm, and right. then Brazil, potentially, or you Spain. To, you deserve it. At that yeah, stage. you do. You know. I think it, the World Cup is very hard to win. I think anybody who wins the World Cup generally deserves it because mm. um, you have to come through some serious tests, and you're not going to come through World Cup without wobbles. Um, so I think the USA could test the Dutch on that's on Saturday afternoon at three in England Senegal seven o'clock on Sunday. Really disappointed with Ecuador yesterday. I think they battled it a bit. Um, so today we got France Tunisia at three. Will Mbappe be rested? He's been the player of the tournament for me so far. Denmark Australia. The Danes have to win this. Do they have the cutting edge to do so? Ooh. Australia been starting games well, but you'd have to think that Denmark might have the quality. Poland Argentina at seven. Is this Messi's last game potentially ever at a World Cup? It's not beyond the realm's possibility. Lewandowski and Messi. So he scored in his last six games for Argentina. Poland need a draw. They might play a bit more defensively. Saudi Arabia, Mexico, also at seven. Mexico being poor. Only have, what, five shots on target in two games. Salman Al-Faraj out for the Saudis with a shin injury. So what Argentina also don't want is to be paired with France in the last 16, <laughs> which will happen if they finish second in the group. It's very difficult for them to finish second. It's a weird sequence of results for that to happen, isn't it? Uh, it probably is, yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, 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 yeah. Like, like if Saudi Arabia win, they, they could be in trouble. Yeah, so. that, is, that is the big game. Argentina, like there is, a, as you say, there's a chance that Lewandowski knocks Messi and Argentina out of the World Cup tonight. Like he's got his goal in the World Cup, he's got his confidence. Poland are a good team when they play well, needless to say. But I mean, that game can go either way. So they qualify Argentina with a draw of Saudi Arabia draw at the top of the group with a win unless Saudi Arabia overturn the goal difference gap and the win over Mexico. Mm-hmm. There are the permutations regarding Argentina, um, but they don't want to face France. Uh, I, I, we were talking. We've been talking about this. Who do you want to win? You, you're on the Brazil bandwagon. Well, I'm, I'm full canary, and and I, I I've get got Brazilian friends, and I um, have been to Brazil twice. I've never been anywhere else. <laughs> You've never been anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been won over by Luis Enrique and the kids. I want them to win. Yeah, okay. I think as like a, 
the new vanguard of football if it's resting on the the uh, lithe shoulders of these kids that uh, like, Gavi and like, these players. What will it mean? The new Zavi and you ask the thing. Just in terms of like, it's not the brutality of other like it's not physicality that's winning. It's it's guile and speed and fleetness and and daring and that's good for football. It is. It is. Now, if Brazil win and it's off the back of um, you know Richarlison and Vinicius, I really love I love Vinicius. Uh, I'd be pretty happy. You've been saying about for about a year, and you must be impressed with this. His contribution. They are a likable squad. Definitely the player. Casemiro and Fred are likable as well. They're a very united bunch. Look the way they said about goals. Yeah. Um, They're almost... It's funny that they're bringing out the big guard to support them as well. Like Ronaldo was doing interviews with Rodrigo probably five minutes after the match. They're all sitting in the um, the royal seats. It's almost... Because I was uh, there a few years ago and the humiliation of 2014 is something that's very, very scarring for them. Mm. So they're, they're, I think they're trying to give them as much support as they can. Have you bought the jersey yet, John? Uh, no, about it? no, I keep on talking about it. I haven't bought it yet. I'll probably buy the day before the final and really jump on the, the late bandwagon. But, um, that's what I did the, in the Euros. I bought the Italy jersey the, the, the morning of the Euros final in 2020. has to be done sometimes, do you know? Yeah. Um, in, a nice jersey. Yeah. You know, they're your, both nice jerseys. That's here. your that's, border yeah. mentality. Um, <laughs> the... The, the bench for Brazil is very good. The defense is very good. Casemiro has to stay fit. Yeah. But the, like the, the, to be able to unload a bench and bring on Jesus and Rodrigo and Anthony and Martinelli and whoever else, it's impressive. Mm. Um, but what will happen when they get tested? Uh, like that Spain-Brazil quarterfinal could be the final. And here's the thing, right? Like, there's a possibility that they take so much out of each other in that that goes yeah, extra time, yeah, that goes yeah, penalties, yeah, this yeah. letdown, and then the next the yeah, final, yeah, some team comes yeah. in and one player plays the 90 minutes of their live, scores twice, and it's like Cody Gakpo. Um, <laughs> it's the bracket, though. That is the weakest bracket now. It's now beginning to emerge as the weak bracket. The Netherlands, USA, potentially could be uh, like Argentina have not impressed me. Argentina, whoever mm. that's the that bracket isn't becoming the weak bracket. I'm looking at a Portugal, Croatia bracket. I'm looking at an England, France bracket, and a Brazil, Spain bracket. Germany still have to. What will Germany do, and where will they? Can they can they jump into something? That's not out of the question either. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen for Messi. It doesn't look like it. Um, elsewhere, by the way, Liam O'Neill on Newstalk Breakfast calling for a lifetime ban for anybody who assaults. Um, you know, referees or match officials. Obviously, they're, they're proposing a 240-week ban. Yeah, so it's, somebody, it's like four years, four and a half years. Yeah. I don't know whether it's because they view the seasons as 48-week seasons. Is that the reason why it's 96 and it's, it's two-year, five-year? Whatever it is, it's obviously an increase. And what's also welcome is the fact that the they're going to try and call the bluff of, of counties and individuals who get involved in spurious and technical ways of trying to get off... Um, you know, serving their bands by trying to double them. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see if they can carry that through. Yeah. My prediction here is that that rule comes in. Yeah. Somebody gets penalised under it and then they appeal the, the extra penalty. Right. And then that falls. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't... Yeah. Like, you have to be... You have to have... In the interest of fairness, if, if justice isn't being done... And we've seen loads of miscarriage of justice where the wrong identity, somebody is actually taking the fall for somebody else and uh, somebody ends up with the wrong suspension. That, like... You have to be able to appeal. There needs to be some process, form of yeah, yeah. restorative justice available to people. So um, now the, the whole pointlessness of it is definitely something that we need to avoid. Yeah, the John Milan, I would say the jo- the John Milan spirit though isn't there. As no, well. it isn't. No. isn't. <laughs> like they should have appealed. <laughs> yeah, Do you know yeah. everybody else appealed. Like I, I don't actually remember what he got sent off for. 
Yeah, it's so long ago now. Um, I think it was 2004 or something. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember what, what he got done for. It sends, it sends out the right message. Like, four and a half years, just over four and a half years, is far more significant than well, 96 weeks. Look, uh, the referees, that's that, like... I, I think they should say that we are going to... Uh, we're going to... We're going to be touts. We're going to tell the cops. We're going to give all the footage over. We're going to encourage everybody to report to the police. And you should go to jail for that. Like, we're going to encourage custodial terms. You know, we're going to work with the authorities. That that would be the first thing. And then we're also going to ban you for life. Yeah. And you're, if you appeal successfully, it'll be four and a half years or whatever the 240 is. I do think throwing teams out from mass brawls. Like, your club is gone from all competitions in that age grade age grade and if it's senior and it's like senior at um Leinster level then you've no senior team next year. You go back into the same division the following year, you don't get relegated or anything, but like no, tough luck. Was Armad Galway serious guys in your view then? Uh, no, I don't I, was there a punch thrown? I was over that side of the, of the stand of the time. It looked serious at the time. It was wrestling, though. Yeah, it was, like, it's, like it's not, sorry, it's not great. It's not a good look. Yeah, it shouldn't happen. Yeah, there should be sanctions. Yeah, are there sanctions that really hurt? No, you know, there's no sanction yeah. that hurts. Miss, miss so. a season. You miss a championship campaign with your with your county. One player. Well, the player, the, the armad player that was at, at, caught on camera hitting a very very sly dig. Uh, Hang on, so that was that. Yeah. There was, so there was one serious. Enough incident, judging by the by the by the pictures, and it, there was a ban. Uh, am I mixing it up with the Tyrone one? Am I? <coughs> I remember the actual. They're not alleged eye gouge, isn't there? In the arm no, that was the yeah. one. Sorry, that was yeah. the one. The eye gouge, yeah. uh, which looked fairly serious. Well, like in, yeah, yeah. Throw the book at those individuals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe yeah. maybe if it, if it generates into a brawl, it's like, sorry, that's tough luck. Yeah, and, and you're out. Yeah, I think that's the only way you, you're really going to stop it. It's it's, it's like you're calling, like something an example, an example or whatever, but it's points deductions or you you know you're you're out of the next you know championship game or something. I don't know. Mm. But it's tough because in that Armagh Galway incident, the two captains were just sent off at the start of extra time because yeah, they didn't have a clue who was at fault. Yeah. And like let's it's say for example, Shane Walsh had been the, the Galway captain. Then the Armagh lad is like, yeah, I've I've done a good deed here. I mean, so it's it's an awkward one for referees, I think. Right. Anything else, JD? Uh, not much. Are we enjoying the football? Loving it. Uh, halfway point yesterday in terms of matches played but I mean we've another two and a half weeks still of, of action 18th of December isn't it the final that's it, yeah. Sunday uh, at 3 o'clock yeah. I'm already making plans for what I'm going to do for the final I think some right. of mates were talking about getting a little gaff party going and get the jerseys out and the cultural food of the, the countries involved I mean it's <laughs> so it'll be um, British beef then oh I hope I hope it's not <laughs> sausages and mash honest Jesus some Spanish, some lovely little paella or, or some Brazilian, Tapas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, some Brazilian yeah. food or something. Maybe a Moroccan, Moroccan food, John, given your... Yeah, Morocco. Your yeah. shout. I, I was... Um, actually went to a Brazilian restaurant there about three weeks ago uh, in, in Dublin where they have... They just keep on coming around. With the, yeah, they keep on coming around with the meat and you have a little disc, like a, a red light and a green light and you, you get two hours. That's your time. You, two hours, you're in. And you've got two hours now. Uh, and... Um, they just keep on coming around unless you put it onto red. <laughs> so it's and it's all uh, one in, one price like fifty quid or whatever. Good. It's yeah, good. It's it's. it's Jojo says it's good. Yeah, Jojo, Jojo, Jojo knows. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best one? Hmm? Dawson Street. There's a new one. There was ages where the the highest rated restaurant in in that's right. The city yeah, was yeah, in Brazil. I, yeah, I never went yeah. that one. I never yeah. went that one. This one is Bath yep. Thirty Three. Um, but yeah, um, all the all the. Uh, Instagram influencers have been there, of course, getting stuff done. And Must look nice inside. John, John was there at the same time too as a uh, yeah, yeah. just a normal person. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're an influencer too, John. I know. Well, only Twitter influencer, not Instagram influencer. I don't. I've never really cracked Instagram. 
You're working on it, though. I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm, try- I'm trying hard to be the shepherd, as um, Jules said in Pulp Fiction. Sometimes I'm the sheep. Uh, 8.59. <laughs> OTBAN brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. More from John Duggan on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. Check out the lunchtime wrap today, bringing you all the latest sports news. That's what thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some... Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Uh, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Chris Waddle on OTB Gold talking about missed penalties. Koi Gig at three. Our retro panel is League of Ireland players in England. And OTB Gold at six is Ua Paul McGrath. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in latest sports content. Back after the break with Brent Pope, who's going to give the best 15 he ever played against. OTB. On OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. We should have played the ball around in the middle a little bit more. We were too quick to drop off 3v1. That's been a problem that we actually stopped against Scotland because Neve Fahey stepped in to stop Caroline Weir. Keep up to date with all the WSL action every Tuesday and subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Are you a sports fanatic who loves to travel? Then sportspass.ie is for you. Log on for the chance to win the trip of a lifetime in 2023 to a top global sporting event. Eight winners get to choose from 12 incredible prizes, including trips to the Women's World Cup in Australia, the Super Bowl, the Masters and WrestleMania. All prizes include return flights, accommodation and tickets for two people from anywhere in the world. That's sportspass.ie. You win, you choose. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. It is three minutes past nine. You're very welcome back to OTB AM this morning. I'm delighted to say Brent Pope is with us. Brent, how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Yeah. We, uh, we've been doing this now for a while yeah. where we're getting people to talk about the best 15 they played against. Yeah, um, it's a good crack. It is, yeah. It, everybody has complained about how difficult it is. It's really difficult. I mean, when uh, you know, especially for someone like myself that's been involved in over a lot of years, the well, most of the amateur game, but I kind of, you know, brought it over coaching-wise then to the professional game. But to have been involved with so many players, when I started going back, I thought, God, I mean, you know, so many good players I played with or against and coached and all these things. Even I was going back there, interesting enough, and selecting a an all-black side and a South African side because I was looking for a couple of positions so somebody could come back on them. Of all the players that had played in Ireland at some stage, you know, and you picked a pretty good pack when they're going back. It was an all-black an all black pack that played for Belvo or, you know, types of guys like Ian Jones was down in Crescent, you know, John Mitchell was at uh, in Buck Anderson or at uh, Gary Owen, Mike Brew in Black Rock and Bashup, you know, all these players, Bruce Deans and Belvedere, Steve McDowell and Belvedere, you know. When did you come over? I came over. I was the first of that sort of gang. I came over about the same time as Warren Gatland and Brent Anderson and Gary Owen and John Mitchell. So there's a group of Bruce Deans that uh, sadly Bruce passed away. You came over to year. play, not to coach first. No, I came over to play for St Mary's. Right, OK. Yeah, and was left in the... Did you not hear that story about my welcome? No. So, OK. Uh, in those days, I got a couple of offers to go and play rugby overseas just for a season, I thought. we just finished... we just won the national championship for the first time in, in Otago Rugby's history, part of the Highlanders group before that. So I got a call from, from someone at uh, St. Mary's Rugby Club saying would I come over and have a season for them. I, at the same time, I got a call from... Um, 
a club Benetton or something in, in Italy. So I had to make the choice, would I go to Ireland? But uh, my grandparents were from Ireland, so I thought, OK, I'll come over and spend a few months at the end of the season, go back to New Zealand the following season. Um, and so I got off the plane and I was told I'd be met by St Mary's Alicadoos, which I was. They were very really kind and I had my big bag. There were no phones in those days, no mobiles or no, you know, I think I had a bit of cash, but no visa cards or anything like that. So they took me into town and as customary then had a couple of drinks with those guys and they brought other players in to meet me and they had a couple of drinks with them. Consequently, a couple of drinks, a couple of drinks, a couple of drinks. And then... They all abandoned me about 2 o'clock down on Leeson Street. So I came out of Leeson Street out of legs at that time, where all the rugby players used to go, with a couple of bags and... Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. So a taxi driver took pity on me and he said, what are you, where are you going? I said, well, to be honest, I don't know. And I said, I don't know who to contact and I've got no money and I don't know where to go. And he said, what are you over here? And I said, I'm over here to play for a club in, uh, called St. Mary's in Temple Oga, I think. And he said, I know where that is. So he said, I'll take you up. There might be somebody still up. Why he thought somebody would be still up at two in the morning, I don't know. But that was in those days, might well have been. So we drove up there and there was no one there and it was raining, lashing with rain. And he kind of said, well, there's nothing more I can do. So he sort of dropped me off the gates there. So I huddled into the foyer of, of St Mary's Rugby Club there with a big dry as a bone jacket that I had at the time and my bag as a pillow and I honkered down there for the night and then the next morning somebody came up the club and he just stood over me, he was up to unlock the club for the mini rugby and he said hey, he said you must be our foreign player and I said yeah that's me and he said come with me, he said I know where you're meant to be staying but I thought you know much has changed in rugby because you imagine Brian O'Driscoll or something going out to, to New Zealand or something and be treated that way but uh Oh, I, I, I loved Irish rugby then. Uh, you know, I, I, it really was an eye-opener. I remember being told that, you know, being quickly brought aside by some players and Marys and saying, hey, don't come over here, show us up with your, with your Kiwi ways, you know, because I, I was really fit, you know. So they said, look, <laughs> you know, have a cigarette and a, and a pint of beer. And I said, well, that's the way you want to play it. So much has changed, I'm delighted to say, in, 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 in Irish rugby. And uh, people still people still don't get, I think, you know how proud you can be of this Irish team because it's it's not your national sport. So I go back to New Zealand all the time. That's a bit of a joke for me to say to All Blacks that I played with or something. Hey, it's not even Ireland's you know number one sport. So if they get the GAA players involved in the football, look how good they could really be. But it's an amazing their achievements and a sport that's not your national sport like New Zealand. How long did you play for here before? Because you got into coaching pretty soon. I got into coaching pretty soon, and I tell you, I got into coaching because I. I was I wasn't really coming to the end of my playing career, but in a sense, Victor Costello um, had thought about coming up to St Mary's, and he was such a great number eight, a young number eight. And I said, "Look, I'll stand, I'll stand aside." I mean, if you get a chance to get Victor, I said, "I'm coming to the end of my sort of career." I was pretty battered and that and bruised um, at that stage, so I said, "Look, I'll I'll step away from." that and I'll go away and get some experience coaching so I went out to Clontarf for, for six years which I loved you know Clontarf at that stage we took them up from the from the bottom of the third division to winning the Leinster Cup in the first division and I sort of built a team from players that were probably a bit disillusioned from other clubs and so I really enjoyed that this phase. is the 90s we're talking 90s and then I was invited back by some of the uh, Mary said never, no Leinster team had won the AAL at that stage and that's when AAL was rugby was was, big, was yeah. the big thing you'd yeah. only get three or four uh, spectators down to Leinster because they weren't affiliated to any clubs so you could play for Leinster but people wanted to know what club you come from you know that's not the way now because it's club Leinster 
as first some some players don't even get to play for their club. So uh, so Victor uh, uh, came out to Marys and and was great for a number of years. I went off to Clontarf, but then I came back to Marys in in their centennial year in uh, two thousand, and I coached Marys. We won the AL for the first time, but that was a great side. I mean, you know, with Dennis Hickey, John McWheeney, Trevor Brennan, who was a great character, of course, Victor Mallow Kelly, Emmett Byrne. You know, we had about ten internationals at that stage playing club rugby. You know, so that was when it was at its zenith. But uh, yeah, I was involved in some good games. I was involved in that final against Young Munster. Where I got sent off, and that's in folklore now because Young Munster have never won it again. And that was the greatest day of their rugby. But there were some real characters. Um, I don't know that story. <laughs> no, I, I. What did I, you do? I, 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 <laughs> I, I foolishly broke Brozzy's draw, who was a, a well-known Munster player and for, player for Young Munster. But that game was. They reckon there was they reckon there was twenty eight thousand or thirty thousand at a club game, at that stage, and everybody came. It was meant to be a home match for for, for St Mary's, but all the people from Limerick said, "Hey, we're coming anyway, and if you can't accommodate us, we're gonna we're gonna get into the game anyway, anyway they they, they could." Uh, but it was a fantastic occasion, and at you the know, old Lansdowne Road, at the old Lansdowne Road, yeah. So there was a bit of a scuffle at the start of the match because I kind of led the way and said, "Look, I mean, they think we're soft, and you know, uh, kind you of, know. yeah, well, which Com- comparatively, which, you might have been. <laughs> which, which Munster teams and Limerick teams obviously thought you were." So we said, okay, look, you know, to soften up, we, we initiate a big sort of scrap in the first minute or so, which happened, and both trading trading punches, I think I was probably trading punches with Gerald or someone like that, Keith's father, who was a, a real tough nut and a great player, should have always played for for, for Ireland, but um, the Colossuses, you know, the two Colossuses, and they were a tough pack, man. <laughs> you know, I don't think club rugby's ever seen a pack that kind of hard and the grizzled. I mean, teams were terrified of going down to, 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 to Young Munster and playing them down there because, you know... But uh, it was a tough place to go. But That's th- 1993. I've just found yeah, out. So there was respect. So anyway, just before just before half time, I I had been targeted that match, and, and rightly so because I was probably one of Mary's talismanic players at that stage, and they probably thought if we can get at Pope, we can get at we can get at St Mary's. So uh, I carried the ball up on the blind side there and I saw out of the corner of my eye uh, Francis Bosnan the big uh, young Munster and Munster centre coming over and I thought you know kill or be killed <laughs> was my attitude which had, had always been my attitude in those days because rugby was a lot different you had to take a punch and receive a punch and, game, and whether you like it or not that's what rugby was all about in those days but so that's then funny. out of the corner of my eye he was coming across field, and I just dropped the ball, and I turned around and 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 whack. Uh, unfortunately, with the momentum, and he was a big guy himself. The momentum, and I was always, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I was always relatively handy with my fists in in, in matches, and sort of with the momentum, he dropped, and 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 of course I was sent off, much to the uh, much to the abuse of the crowd. In fact. After that match, I was—I couldn't go back. I just thought, oh, look, you know, all is forgiven. I'll go back and sit the rest of the match out on the on the sort of the bleachers. And no, I was escorted out of the ground by a couple of guardies saying, "Look, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be around." <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, just sort of get over it. But uh, Brosie and I have remained close since that time, and the the whole stories and folklore and poems and that. And I always get invited down to Young Munster Club by the likes of the Claw and these guys. So there's a bit of there's a bit of respect. Kind 
can't have, you know, street respect. Yeah, they did call it, they used to call Young Munster's ground the killing fields. <laughs> That's what it <laughs> Brent was. Brent started that. Uh, it, but it's like uh, the Roy Keane tackle on Mark Overmars in 2001 in the first minute. You're setting the tone by. Except getting by doing sent that. off. Except getting sent off, kind of, yeah. yeah. It's probably in the same area of the pitch, actually. But that <laughs> was, uh, that was uh, uh, just a f- uh, uh, another quick funny story on that. Uh, uh, when I was playing at Otago, I was a kind of veteran. I'd been there for so long, but we had a, a, um, a Samoan prop came over and played with Swanton. I went on to play for, for, for Samoa years later, I think, uh, uh, Sui Faniyaloa. Sui was a great guy, but he didn't really have such a great sort of command of the English language at that stage, you know. But anyway, I was his kind of mentor uh, in Otago for a number of years, and he followed me around and say, what's Sui do or something like this? So we were playing one game or something, I think it was against Canterbury or something like that, and Sui was, was tough, you know, he was a great prop. And uh, first scrum went down, and was customary in those days you got a bit of softener from the opposition, you know, just to see whether you're up for it or whatever. And it happened all the time. And um, so Suey gets a takes a takes a punch and the ref comes in and breaks up the two teams and he and he um, Suey comes back into the huddle and he looks at me and he says, you know, he said, What what do Suey do? And I said, Well Suey, the way New Zealand rugby works unfortunately is that if you don't throw your best punch back to this guy that threw one to you, you're going to get hassled all day. You know, it was that kind of bullying culture that I didn't like. But, you know, you, so that was the only way to get respect, that you'd have to show some steel. But I suppose like first day going into prison or something like that where you've got to stand up. So anyway, the next scrum went down and I heard this almighty smack and then I heard this kind of bellowing sound like a sort of a, a, a car hitting the ground you know and the ref run in immediately and blew the whistle and separated the two teams and I remember Sui coming back to the group and looking up at me with this big Polynesian smile and said Popey and I said yes yeah. so he said Sui do good Sui do good and I looked around him for some reason and I looked down and I said yep Sui I said you did you did well I said that's great I said but just next time make sure it's one of them <laughs> he turned around and, and, and as what used to happen those days front rowers used to come through with a with a, with a punch unfortunately yeah unfortunately it cocked our hooker who was out you know flat Wrong on man. the ground so it was a sort of a lesson in how you motivate players to say well look you know yes you've you, you probably done the correct thing but just ne- next time the, the, uh, the coaching takeaway is be very specific in your instructions <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. that was right then I'm not taught you know anybody that played in that era those those players that, that's what that's what it was like you had to you know you had to stand up for yourself otherwise players would pick on you the whole game there wasn't it wasn't so much about talent in those days you know, when I was playing, especially in the forwards, it was more about that you mm. stood up. You know, and um, um, that full match is, by the way, the 1993 final is on YouTube. If anybody wants, oh, it's to go on back YouTube. And, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Just, it was a I great intercept it. uh, by by Gerrells uh, again. Is something that scored the try. But I'm glad looking back. Uh, I'm glad looking back that that young Munster actually won that match because it goes down in history a bit like Mary's. You know, won it a few few years later, and it took a long time to do for them. So it was that game will always be steeped in their history mm. because they might win it again, they might not. But going back to those legends of the game that all played club rugby at that stage, yeah. you're not you're not comparing. It's like comparing boxes as you do 
you know, who was the greatest heavyweight. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. So in those days when the likes of O'Gar and all these players, O'Connell, all that, they radiated to the club game first. And then, in fact, it was a thing. It was it was a thing. I remember my first game against Shannon, Anthony Foley was playing just out of school. I thought, oh, well, I'll suffer this young guy up. And the opposite, the opposite occurred. So, you know, he was, he, was a, he was another tough young player. But that was the way they came through the system. They get selected for Munster and then get into Ireland. In fact, they come out of the clubs straight into Ireland. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about your team. Oh, let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the yeah. best 15 you've ever played against. Uh, yeah. I'm going to run through them and then we'll come back and talk about them. So yeah. the, uh, the forwards, Diego Cash of Argentina, you've cheated at your hooker. Yeah. You've got Keith Wood slash Sean Fitzpatrick, which yeah. isn't allowed. Yeah, okay. Uh, Olo Brown, Olo, Olo Brown. Olo Brown, yeah. Olo Brown. Uh, Rudy Visaggi. Rudy Visaggi. There's a good story Visaggi. around him. Martin Johnson. Yeah. Michael Jones, Alan Wetton and Zinzan Brook, yeah. who is a, a fixture at number eight in these yeah. teams so far. Nick Farr Jones at nine. Yeah. Jonathan Davis of Wales at yeah. ten. Tim Horan and yep. Joe Stanley. Yep. John Kerwin yep. uh, at thirteen. Uh, Inga. Oh no, I've got John. Oh, no, I took Inga out. I put because Inga was player played against. I played with J.K., but I put him into my all-time best team. I think you couldn't leave him out. So Kerwin, Campisi, and John, who got it for John bit? Gallagher. John Gallagher. Yeah, that was a close run. Thing. So Campos at fourteen. Yeah, well, it doesn't really. I just put them on the on the wing because yeah. I had to make a last minute few changes because <laughs> I played with. See, I played uh, I, guys. I played. I played when rugby in New Zealand was probably at its strongest. And we look back now, and I mean, everybody can say that, but I mean, that Auckland team in the late 80s and early 90s was a full all-black team and more. That wins the World Cup, the first that World wins Cup. wins the World Cup, with, with 13 of the regular players. It's like Leinster now. And you, you also had guys, Frank Bunce couldn't make the team who went on to be, to, to be a great New Zealand player, as we know. Frank Bunce couldn't make the starting team. Pat Lamb couldn't make the starting team. They were the qualities of the, of the, of the subs they had. But they basically were the, were the side that won the World Cup in 87 and also smashed touring teams. You know, the Lions, uh, South Africa, uh, certainly they would put 40 or 50 points around Wales, you know. So they were great. So that was a great era of playing. Like you, you still go uh, th- to the loose forwards I had to get past in that stage in New Zealand rugby and to be involved in with the likes of, you know, Buck Shelford, uh, Zinni Brook, you know. Uh, Cronfield was a bit late. I played with Josh, uh, Michael Jones, Alan Wetton. And Zinzan Brook, Michael Jones, and possibly Wetton are still regarded in New Zealand's greatest, as with Kerwin, as New Zealand's greatest ever team. So Michael Jones would still make everybody's, and Zinzan Brook would make everybody's World 15, regardless of era. But they were the types of players. So we look at the All Blacks now, and you say, look, they, there's too many one-cappers walking around. You know, the people that they tried out in the professional era or something like that. When when you played in my era, you knew every player that you played against, which could maybe play against them for 10 seasons. But, um, yeah, so uh, I suppose just quickly going through that team, as I suppose it's, it's who you leave out is a bit like, you You've know. got to pick Keith Ward or Sean Fitzpatrick. Well, that's the, that's the rules. I'm probably going to have to go. I, I, I put that in only that slash because not because he works here, not because, you know, but I probably have to go with Fitzpatrick on reputation because I played against him at, at the higher level. Uh, you know, I played against uh, Woody for Gary Owen or something like that. But... But people people can forget how good a player he was and how, you know, we can look at a World 15 now and you can pick five or six Irish players in it 
and that's only started over the, uh, the when I came over to Ireland first you wouldn't have had there wouldn't have been any and that's no disrespect to the Irish players but mm. there would have been very few if any Irish players would have made an all-black squad let alone an all-black starting 15 the only player I talk about that would have made an all-black squad at that stage probably as number two uh, uh, you know behind Fitzpatrick would have been Keith Wood later on Brian O'Driscoll Paul O'Connell Sean O'Brien yes all those players would have made world 15 now you're looking at Doris Van der Fleer, you know Ryan you know a lot of guys would make it but in those days probably Keith would but for the purposes of that I played a lot of times against Sean I, I go with Sean I just needed to mention Keith in there but was that the toughest exclu- would that be the toughest exclusion in Keith or were there tougher oh players? no you're looking at a lot of players that I left and that I played with you know now I took a bit of license because some of those players like you know Horn and that I would have played against in, in one off sort of charity matches Nick mm-hmm. Far Jones would have been another one uh, a, a, a guy I got to play with albeit he, he won't remember but it was at uh, I played for a lot of teams you see and a lot of those touring teams like the Penguin, Penguins or the Warblers, Warblers the Barbarians, you got to play with players like Philippe Salah or something like that, or you got to play with other players you wouldn't in the 15-man game. Mm. Uh, so that was a hard one to leave out. But you, looking at wingers like Brian Lima, the chiropractor, or whatever like that from, from Samoa, because at one stage we had a tour every year domestically, uh, which involved Canada, um, the US and Argentina teams. It was fantastic, because you got to play against all those players, and there were some good players that just make it but I mean even Martin Johnson people forget Martin Johnson had a season I would have played against he had a season out in New Zealand playing for King Country yeah, yeah, yeah. when he was a young guy so through the New Zealand cult system and that so I would have played against him so that's a bit of license out there but the interesting story about the about the second row there is uh, I wanted to I wanted to to, to, to to make it about big men in those days because yes there's a lot of second rows that I would have played against or with like you know Zinni's brother you know Marty Brook and Robin Brook talented players and and Gary Witt and all these players but two that come to mind and they've got stories behind them is the biggest men that I would have played at that stage was Rudy Vasaki who played for Natal and played a few games for South Africa when they weren't playing international matches he was about six foot seven or six foot eight and about 140 kgs then then we're going back to the late 80s early 90s and uh then the other one was a guy called norm storm a storm and norman hadley from canada and he was about equally as big but the sad story about both those guys is that they've well sad story about uh, about norm who i uh, kicked around a bit with Canadian rugby was that he was famous. He was on the front page of the tabloids in the in the UK, because, and that's where they gave him the name Storm and Norman because he uh, he boxed a couple of guys that were trying to steal a woman's handbag on the on the tube. So he's a six foot nine guy, and he's got both of these guys in a headlock or something. And it was photographed, but uh, he lost his life sadly in in, in Singapore. He's working as a as a on Hong Kong, sorry, as a, a bank or whatever, the, a, a couple of years ago. But the other story about uh, Rudy Vasaki is also one of kind of tragedy, because um, he ended up waking up in the morning and. Uh, seeing his daughter's Volkswagen being driven out of a, I, I, I don't know, I think he was on a farm, being driven out of the uh, of the uh, estate, and he uh, shot a gun and he killed his daughter. 
Oh, Jesus. That's um, so, you know, that just shows you one thing about the sort of gun laws that existed, you know, in, in that time, you know, but uh, it, it was a tragedy. But he was the biggest man. Now, that was just a one-off match we played against Natal. I think he was playing Natal at the time, but uh, but just a physical specimen of a guy. So there were more talented players, but I just wanted to combine the the kind of the team that where you would have the big tough second row in Johnson and Vasaki. You'd have the, the just about the ultimate back row. In Jones, Brook, and and Wetton, you could possibly replace Wetton with a couple of other players that I played with, but um, you know I didn't think there was anybody good enough. Nick Farr, Jones, David Kirk, you could have in the mix. Graham Bashup, all these players I played with. Um, you've you put Campo in. What was Campo like to play against? Well, again, that's a bit of a sort of a, a literal because I played I played against him probably in the seven circuit more right. than the fifteens. But uh, I probably played against him. I think we played the Australian Barbarians or something. Oh, Campo was fantastic for the game. You know, just one of those sort of iconic figures that you know just played the game like it should be played. And 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 you know he's often overlooked now and as players. You know, Matt Williams would obviously mention him because he would have worked with him or something and, and against him. But I mean, Campo's sort of in the, in the new list of world greats. Does he make it into everybody's all time 15? Uh, possibly not, but he should. He was a fantastic player, and, and, and you know, he, he, he was, there was a love or hate relationship between him and the New Zealand because, I mean, he'd go walking down the end of the ground when the harker was on or something like that, but. Uh, no, he was a great character. In those days, you know, rugby was about characters too, and, and and he was great. Inga was another player that you feared against. I, I was lucky, unlucky enough not to play against the great John Alomu. He'd be obviously one in everybody's selection, but uh, but I did see the size of him up close, and I just thought, you know, how rugby has changed. He's probably he probably goes down as my greatest ever player because he was the one player in all those players that changed the game forever, and I don't think many other players have done that. Mm. Um, maybe Zinzanbrook. Yeah, Zinni. I know Zinni. <laughs> I know Zinni well. I had him over last year. Actually, he's a, a great house guest, and he's a great guy. And Zinni, and I grew up at the same time. In fact, in fact, Zinni came into the World Cup after I came in 1987 when I pulled out um, through injury at the, at the very last moment. And uh, they, I often say, you know, I often say to Zinni, Zinni, I gave you a break, which is not true because, you know, I, I he might have made it anyway. But you know, you helped him. Oh no, well, he he wouldn't have there at that stage because he wasn't in that. But they flew him in as the last moment sort of replacement because he wasn't even involved in the trials and that for that year but but uh, you know no better man to 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 give a potential spot up to but uh, no Zinni was just uh, you know talk about multi-talented you know could kick off both feet and those were the days when you were told not to kick as a forward drop goals from the halfway he was just an ultra confident player and he was lucky enough and he admitted himself he was lucky enough to play with the likes of Michael Jones and that forward pack in 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 uh, in Auckland at that time, I mean, Zinni scored something like thirty or forty pushover tries. You know, the the, the team just marched forward. But a fantastic player because of his creativity. Um, some others would say they'd look at players like Buck Shelford, and that was a more direct type of player. You know, but I played against the likes of Dean Richards and Mike Teague and these guys. You know, as no, as far as number eights are concerned. Given that you had uh, Irish grandparents, was there ever any chat of playing for Ireland when you came Great over? Grandparents, was- sorry. Uh, Oh, was yeah. that was no, there was. There was inquiries made when I was out in New Zealand, actually, because I went back the first year Ireland toured at that stage with the likes of Vinnie Cunningham and that were, were teammates of mine. Yeah, and they nearly beat the All Blacks. Yeah. I should have... Here's something Here's something that, that, that I, I... I don't know whether I regret it or not, but my loyalty 
my loyalty stopped me going back. My loyalty to St. Mary's and to Ireland, and few people know this, my loyalty really prevented me going back and, and playing for the All Blacks in 1992 because we'd just finished a season for Otago. We won the national championship and we beat Auckland for the first time in the history. Otago's only done it twice, despite all the great players they've had over the years, the Cronfields, the Wilsons, the Coopers, you know. So we won it and I decided to come over for that end of that season because that's what you did. I played in the States as well. You know, you go to have an off season where you play two or three months and, and then go back and prepare for the next season. So in between that time, Laurie Maines was my coach at Otago for 10 years and I got on well with Laurie and when I played, I started. So on the bench at that stage was Josh Cronfield, Aaron Pennay, Jamie Joseph when I was playing. The loose four tree in those days was Mike Brewer, myself and Paul Henderson. Both those two players went on to captain the All Blacks at some stage. So Laurie rang me and said, would I come back for the All Black Trials in 1992? And unfortunately, Mary's got into a relegation battle um, so that there was a game coming up against Gary and they had to win to stay in the First Division. So I declined Laurie's kind of request to come back and, and, and go through the trial system because they had to go through the All Black Trial system or whatever because I thought he wouldn't make All Black coach. But of course, then he was in '92. He was appointed the All Black coach, and I was still stuck in Ireland. I'm saying stuck in Ireland. I love my time in Ireland, and 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 there's a whole journey behind that. Mental health wise, it was so good for me. Um, but uh, that game against Gary Owen cost me the chance because the All Black trials were were, were on the same day back in New Zealand, uh, so I couldn't get back for those. And then after the All Black trials, Aaron Penny and Jamie Joseph are named in the All Blacks side in front of Zinzanbrook right so Aaron Aaron is named in front of all uh, of Zinzanbrook and they go on to have 25 or 30 caps so that was a regret because I look back now and say you know uh, yes I was I was in my 30s at that stage but I was still pretty fit and I was still playing good uh, good rugby over here but I had a sense of loyalty because I thought that coming over to Ireland and coming over to St Mary's at, at, at that stage when I was struggling with my mental health was the best thing I did in my life, you know, and, and it allowed me to remain over here and make friends and, and, and start a different life in coaching and in media and that. So it, it's, it swings and roundabouts. Yeah. One door opens, another closes. No, exactly. <laughs> Brent, you've been great with your time. Thanks a million for that uh, Beth 15. We'll stick it on Twitter for people to uh, to see and have a look and a debate about it. Yeah, there'll be a couple there like Diego Cash from Argentina that people won't know, but people that know all about scrummaging will know that he was just, you know, players like Hugo Port and that I would have liked to put in, but there wasn't... Uh... I thought you'd have Grant Fox. <clears throat> the Grand yeah, Fox. that was one because I, Foxy, Foxy I, I played against a lot of times and probably be played with and, and was phenomenal. I just think Jonathan Davies was just, and again, a, a very underrated player. I mean, look what he did when he went to rugby league. He probably played in, in a Welsh side that didn't didn't give him the reins that they might have had in the in, in in the seventies. But you could play him at either fullback or out half. He was an extremely gifted player. He's a good goal kicker. He was a great runner. Foxy was a phenomenal reader of the game and a phenomenal goal kicker. But when you're trying to get a backline sort of set alight with the likes of, you know, Joe Stanley and these types of players, of Horn and Little and those guys, and Campo and JK and the wing and Gallagher, who was such a great player for a couple of years, then you probably needed someone to attack a bit more. Mm. So that's why I'm... Uh, 
Good stuff. Tough decisions. Yeah, tough decisions, but, you know, I don't think they're going to sweat it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> playing against Brent Pope won't be on there. I won't be on their grade as 15. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, look, thanks for giving me the opportunity. No it's great to come in and have a, a chat anyway about, Absolutely. Uh, about rugby. There you go. OTBAM is brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. We'll obviously be back tomorrow, bang on half past seven, with a review of what happens tonight. And uh, we'll begin to work out the brackets a bit more and predicting what's going to happen. So uh, we're going to leave you now with uh, Guillaume Balaga talking with Shane, uh, talking about the World Cup, talking about Messi's future and loads more besides. OK, delighted to say we have Guillaume Balaga, Spanish football journalist, live on the line now from Qatar. Guillaume, how are things? Yeah, things are all right. Things are all right. It's been, I think, 12 days since I arrived and uh, I haven't stopped. <laughs> so I haven't seen, I don't even know how to get to the beach. But uh, <laughs> there will be time for everything, I'm sure. I'm sure you've seen a lot of the a lot of the metro, a lot of the press rooms. It's all been kind of uh, it's all been go. I, I'd imagine there's no there's no let off. start. But start. I haven't seen the metro yet. It's all oh, really because yeah, I'm staying in a house with uh, Rafael Honigstein and Grand Wall and James Horncastle, who I'm sure you've spoken to all of them. And uh, we, it's a great place. Three floors and it's got a terrace at the top and it's got a swimming pool and all that. But uh, it's not near a metro. So where we want to go somewhere, and generally it's a training ground or a stadium or or the or the or the media center, just get a, just get the Uber. So no, I don't. I heard it's great, but I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. How how do you feel about the whole thing at the moment? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of uh, takes time to get used to the whole uh, situation in Qatar and 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 how the the World Cup is is proceeding, and and even the stadiums, and we're seeing some empty seats at some matches, but then other games are, are quite full. So how are you finding the whole thing so far? A hundred feelings and about it all, uh, and and to start with, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I've I've, I've not analysing or judging through filters through somebody that's telling me this is good or this is bad. I'm seeing it myself, and and what I'm seeing is a lot of service people that uh, want to help you, a lot of volunteers. Uh, I'm seeing amazing stadiums. I'm very aware that uh, today the uh, death figure of uh, migrant workers has come from from three to four hundred, um, and it's probably more. It's it's certainly uh, it seems to me the case that uh, football has got the power to actually change things. I do believe in that very much so, and and things are changing things. Starting with the fact that that Qatar had lied to us about about those figures, and all of a sudden they accept that uh, that they done things wrong. Um, I'm sure more things have to change, uh, and I'm sure that uh, you know the treatment uh, to the LGBT community and 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 migrant workers have to improve. But I'm also sure that if we hadn't been here, things wouldn't have changed. It seems like they're changing, and the experience itself uh, for me is all work uh, basically. And sharing time with my colleagues is a is a, a lot of fun. Uh, being with them in this house, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I don't want I, I, I don't want that to to disappear. It's a it's a it's a time to actually grow mentally and many senses. I'm learning a lot from James, from Barker, from Grant, a lot. But I'm also learning from being here, uh, and not just about the fact that it's very hot, about the place. And so there are some stadiums that are amazing. I mean, the nine seven four one that will be dismantled after the World Cup is just it's just a, what humans can do when we get together to do stuff. Uh, it's just unbelievable. We saw the uh, the protest from a from a fan at the during the Portugal Uruguay game last night, and surprisingly, it was the first on pitch 
protest by a fan. I'm sure the security is, is obviously tight as well at these stadiums. Uh, and we had the whole armband discussion at the start of the tournament. Were captains like Harry Kane going to going to wear the armband or not? Um, are, are you surprised at the, I guess, lack of, I guess, on-pitch protest or, or, or actions by, by captains and teams at the World Cup? Or? No, I'm not surprised because, I mean, if you wear a shirt that says Iran woman, <laughs> uh, you get stopped and you have to argue with police. Now, this is obviously a police state. Uh, we, we go in, into a place that have uh, got very strict rules, and not just that, there is fear, because the ones who implement those rules, the, the police on the ground, they're not even from Qatar. Uh, but I think but uh, they are in fear of uh, repercussions if they don't implement what they think are the rules. But the rules have been... Uh, the goalpost has been moved a little bit, um, but now it's becoming clear that Qatar is in charge, not FIFA. So the police have responded to that as well. Um, they, whatever gets discussed in the British media or in the Western media or in the Spanish media don't get to the police down on the ground. They have the idea that they were told that there is a bunch of things that cannot be done. They will insist with that until the end of the tournament. They won't get, it won't get filtered to them that things have changed or anything. But I insist, I think, uh, with whole circus coming down here and we'll all go after a while and there is a lot of buildings that are not done and will not, will not be done and I don't know who's going to be living in those that have been done. There's all that to question yourself, the um, the, 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 the the cost of it, you know, no, the World Cup has cost as much as this one, etc. That That's debatable but uh, but I do think that the, 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 there's been a stamp on football and things. It's just that people want everything to change now. And uh, and to have more protests on the pitch, hundreds of them, if possible. It's not possible because we are in police state. It's not possible because not everybody that comes here comes with that intention of protesting. Um, but the fact that there are protests are making this Qatari society think: all right, maybe we're not getting everything right. Still, uh, I understand they want their their way of living to be respected. My respect finishes where where human rights are not respected either. So that's the that's the conflict that's happening daily here. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, it's a tough one. The the uh, the on pitch, I guess, affairs have been entertaining to say the least. Um, Spain have been have been very impressive, and I know that the Germany game, uh, Germany were they were good in the second half and came back to to get the the draw. But uh, I saw someone on Twitter pointing out that you know watching watching Pedri and Gavi at the moment is is like watching a respawn of of Xavi and Iniesta, and uh, like they are just both a, a joy to watch at, on this uh, this world stage. Yeah, easy. Let me see who's arrived. Oh, hello, Grant. Hey. <laughs> um, it's not Xavi and Iniesta, uh, but certainly have got some characteristics of them. I think Pedri will reach the same heights. Not sure about Gabi, that everybody's in love with, but he's he's a. Uh, I think uh, Morata was saying yesterday, even in um, in training, he's a buffalo, <laughs> going for every every ball as if he's the last one. And uh, apparently, he hit Morata once without the ball, and uh, I'm forgotten about that one. So he owes him that one. Um, Gabi does very well what he does, but. Uh, but he's a little bit chaotic. Pedri has got a whole pitch on his on his brain, and it's, it's yeah, it's wonderful to see with Busquets next to them. You take Busquets away, and it's a it's a different Spain. It was enjoyable to watch them, as I said from the beginning, uh, and and I think that was the message of Luis Enrique: enjoy while it lasts. If it gets to a point, we get to quarters and Brazil beaters. 
well done Brazil if they were better than us or we'll just be upset if they weren't better than us and we get knocked out because football does that sometimes but meanwhile uh, there's no expectations uh, we're just uh, enjoying ourselves Germany careful with Germany mm-hmm. uh, there were a couple of players that told Spanish players two German players that told Spanish players beat Japan of course we'll beat Japan because we want you to go as far as you can and on the way just kill big teams so you know we 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 get maybe to the final against germany which we think we can uh, as are, are equal to but they grew into the game and uh, and we we lost control there was interesting that the players came out quite and, and Luis Enrique quite upset with having been not not having won that game but ha- they watched the game again and they thought you know what we we dealt well with what was thrown to us and we could have lost it with that Sunday chance at the end. So, yeah, it's 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 a team that uh, will make you all enjoy African Spain. I guess there's something to be said that when you met, when you mentioned Sergio Busquets having that experience alongside the two the two young players, uh, and you need a kind of a bit of a blend of youth and experience because you look at the likes of well Suarez for example or or the Belgian defence and and you're seeing aging uh, teams and players and and clearly. For the likes of Belgium and Uruguay, it's just not working. They don't have that blend, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not like it's a blend that has to do with the position on the pitch. You don't want an older player in the Gavian uh, Pedri position. Pedri was the player that run the most uh, in against Germany. Uh, you you need those legs to keep and, and and a fresh mind to to see the gaps, to see where you have to run to 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 be relevant. But then in Busquets' role, yeah, you have to have that kind of maturity to understand when to pass the ball. Went to go on pressure high and all that. Uh, and Busquets has got it in his head. He's the most undervalued player of the last decade, without any doubt. But the rest of the team, is age is not a, hasn't been an issue. Uh, Alba, Jordi Alba, it's interesting, Luis Enrique saying that um, uh, he's, he's the best fullback in the last third because he doesn't cross, he passes the ball. Whatever he does is with a meaning. Uh, again, if you have that, you have to use it. But at the same time, you need the, the likes of Nico Williams or, or Ferran Torres, young players, to actually be brave enough to go out, to go one v one. You're absolutely right. In in some cases, the the blend doesn't work. Uh, Belgium reminds me of Spain 2014. We won one World Cup too many or one summer tournament too many for that group. But Vicente del Bosque was never gonna do any different. You know, they won everything. Let them enjoy in Brazil as well. Let them enjoy. I think Belgium is the same. Um, quite clear, Roberto Martina didn't feel that it was the time for recycling, but they had picked, they picked already. And now you start seeing the uh, the division within the side. And uh, with Spain, it was exactly the same. Everybody was blaming everybody else. And what it was, it's just the end of a cycle. And then in that, when that happens, you just put too many old legs and people that care, not enough, basically. I had seen your interview with Robert Lewandowski from um, from just prior to the tournament. And, um, I guess he's a, he's a TikTok star now as well as a, as, as well as a footballer, <laughs> Robert Lewandowski. But, uh, really nice of, to see that moment where he, he finally, uh, and I'm sure it was, it was heavy on his shoulders, this weight of expectation at scoring a goal at the World Cup finals, but he's finally done it. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm so glad, uh, I, I caught up with him eventually because we live in the same city, Barcelona, but, uh, we had to actually, uh, do the interview in Warsaw because <laughs> I didn't have time for it. Imagine. Um, but eventually we, we, we met and it was just a week before the start of the tournament. He was so, um, open about everything, about the relationship with his dad who passed away and how rejection as a young man marked his life. 
and how he was going to enjoy himself in the World Cup. No matter what, he was just going to go out there with a smile and see what he could do. Uh, but of course, it's probably his last World Cup. That's what he's saying. Uh, and he wanted to finish on a high, meaning scoring. He needs to, the greatest, one of the greatest goal scorers of our of that generation needed to have a World, a World Cup goal. And when he did, it was just the, I bet, I bet everything went through his head from his dad to, uh, to the times that uh, he's had to overcome difficulties to uh, to having to represent his country, all things. I hope to talk to him about that game and about that goal, and I'm sure we can come up with a nice 45-minute podcast just on that. Yeah, what a moment for him, for sure, and for Poland. Um, Kylian Mbappe is a man who's who's lit up the tournament so far as he did uh, four years ago, um, and he looks like a, a more mature player. You know, even the start of the tournament, I guess he was. Uh, you know, taking all the set pieces on himself and, and and taking a lot of leadership positions, but then you're seeing the likes of you know Griezmann and and Dembele and and Rabio stepping up as well. So even though they had a lot of injuries, Benzema and Pogba and Kante included, France look like the real deal so far. Absolutely, I think people are getting a lot com- very confused when they start to compare national sides to Manchester City or to the Barcelona of 2010 or whatever, or Spain or. Um, that is the exception to the rule. The rule is uh, teams that if you are solid, if you don't concede and you can score and you can create enough to score, you're going to go very far. And uh, and France have got all of that. Griezmann is the oil for the machine. Is very clever what he's doing, especially now that they haven't got a, a, a powerful midfield, even though Rabiot is, as you say, is doing well. And Mbappé, it's not, the, it's not as good as he can be and it's not as good as he will be. Uh, I know that everybody's falling, you know, uh, over how do you say falling over backwards with uh, with uh, with his potential or w- w- what he with what he does and the fact that he could win a second World Cup and he'd be one from Pele and he's got at his age many more goals than Messi and Ronaldo did at that age. Uh, there's all that, but I still think he uses his power uh, far too often uh, and doesn't always use it cleverly. Does a little bit too much. Doesn't always choose well. So imagine, imagine when he gets better. Uh, there is there is still room for improvement. But for this World Cup, uh, France are creating very often the conditions for a one v one in which he can go and beat a defender. And uh, and doing that, and if he sees, he raises his head a little bit, doesn't try to finish everything off. Uh, he'll see that Griezmann uh, will be there, or Giroud will be there, or uh, and then you know, or Rabiot or whoever. So. There is room for improvement, not just uh, with uh, Mbappe, but with, with France as well. What What do you make of England so far? I mean, I know there's a potential clash with France in the quarterfinal if all things go well for for the two of those sides. Um, really good against Iran in the first game. Uh, really tough game to watch against the USA second time out. But uh, I guess they're getting the job done, and at the same time, Southgate needs to. I guess know his strongest team because Phil Foden is the is the man that seems to be on everyone's lips at the press conferences. Phil Foden, two goals in nineteen games, um, who hasn't impressed at all yet, and he's the the big hope. Uh, when actually you've got Champions League winners, World Cup winners uh, on on that team, uh, well, well, World Cup at different level, but um, uh, yes, they're doing the job. But at the same time, there was two things that were very clear against the United States, which I don't know how you improve on. 
Uh, one, the athleticism of the United States was superior to England, and that was surprising because you expect England to be, you know, strong, uh, to run faster, to, you know, beat in the 50-50s. That's where England's always been. But no, uh, actually, they were taken aback. And because they saw that and the players sensed that, they started dropping back and it was about not to make mistakes, not to concede. Um, and that was the second thing, fear. So I think um, there's a lot of players that uh, the coaching staff feels that they haven't been strong mentally at a time when you have to be. You, you get challenged more than ever in these competitions. And that's when you discover what people are made of. You know, the joker is he also a strong man when things are not going your way. And there was a lot of answers on, on that uh, game against the United States. So they need to shake that pressure off. Uh, second game is always difficult, but let's see, uh, you know, Wales should be easy enough. Maybe that will um, unleash the, 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 the potential of England because if things go well, if, if they, they find, the, they find uh, the fluidity, uh, they find themselves in the flow, they're candidates. They're definitely candidates. They've got goals everywhere. And they can defend well, and they can score in set pieces, and they can stop conceding. Plenty of reasons to, to see them far, but it's the head that needs to be released now. Um, Argentina and Messi managed to, to recover from the, the Saudi shock and get over the line against Mexico. Uh, and then we're hearing the news as well that um, potentially Messi could be joining Inter Miami and, and heading off to the MLS. Are you hearing anything on the ground about that and, and, and whether or not it's, it's actually close? <laughs> Nobody has read the article. <laughs> Nobody has read the article. Everybody went with the headline. The headline said, Messi said to go to Inter Miami. The article in the first paragraph put Matt Lawton, because I'm sure he didn't put that headline. The article says, Inter Miami are optimistic that they can convince Messi to actually make it to Inter Miami. What does that tell you? There's nothing. There's been conversations. Of course there has. Um, but... He's not set to join Inter Miami. Busquets, yes. I think Busquets will go to Inter Miami. And it's interesting that he's Busquets because he's a close friend of Messi. I think Leo at some point. But would you go to Inter Miami? He's in, he's in at PSG. Uh, with candidates to win the Champions League, passing the ball to Neymar and Mbappé and Hajraf and so many others. Um no, he's, he's got a two-year plus one with PSG. PSG are going to abandon the idea of renewing the plus one, but do another one, which is going to pay him another 30, 40 million net, uh, as he used to earn at, at Barcelona. And um, and they want to offer one plus one, the favourites to keep him right now, because Barcelona is just words. Not There's no strategy behind it. There's no commercial strategy, financial strategy. There's no conversations between the chairman, Laporte and him. There's nothing. It's just words. So with that in mind, you have to say when he starts thinking about it, which will be after the World Cup, and that could be January or June, then PSG have got the advantage. He won't go to the MLS next season. Uh, at some point, he will. That's the plan. But no. And, you know, I recommend everyone to just go back to the source and abandon the idea of just making your judgment just with a headline. Yeah, maybe people's uh, attention spans need to need to go further than just the, the headline in the, this day and age. That's certainly dangerous. Uh, one of the things, um, Guillaume, that, that really kind of, I guess, put rumours and football and results into perspective was has been Luis Enrique and his own personal story. And, and uh, I mean, he, he's, he's such a great manager and he seems to be a great guy as well. A lot of people seem to uh, get, a lot, get a lot out of him. Um, 
but he, he put a post up on on the day of the, the Germany game where he was reflecting on the fact that it was his, his late daughter's, uh, what would have been her 13th birthday. Um, and, and I guess that's something in Spain and, and across the world that, that caught a lot of people's imaginations because it really kind of put everything into perspective. He was uh, cycling in Doha in the morning. I mean, that is already crazy enough that should tell you what kind of person he is. Um, where he said, we're playing today against Germany. I don't remember uh, <laughs> a public message from a manager on the day of the game before in a World Cup mm. in Spain anyway. But then, yes, um, he he said, and today, Shanna, whatever you are, happy birthday, it would have been your 30th birthday. And uh, he's decided to leave uh, tragedy with, with normality. Uh, he say, he feels that, uh, and she he explained that in the press conference after the game that she's gone, her body's gone, but uh, she's in their in their thoughts, in their family thoughts every single day, and and don't don't in a way don't don't want them that to become the tragedy that determines the the, the rest of their lives, but just. Life is full of really good moments and, in some cases, really tragic moments, and you just have to leave that with total normality. For him to, when he was asked in the press conference, I thought, "Oh God, I don't know if you should have asked that." But he answered again with a lot of normality, as he's doing in his streaming. He talks about underwear. He talks about sex uh, for players. He talks about a lot of things. He talks about Ferran Torres, who is of course going out with his daughter. And by taking it's it's how you kill it's how you kill trolls, isn't it? You treat everything normal. Even there was some trolling because there was some really awful song that they used to sing to him. And uh, he just picked the song and twisted it and threw it back with kindness. That's it. I mean that that's that's how you should live life. And when he texts us, I I I message sometimes with him and there's always a message in his text or in his WhatsApps uh, on the line of, and don't forget to live your life well, because we don't have a lot of time. And uh, and that tells you why he's chosen the way we're playing. Because at the end, if you, if you decide to pressure high, steal the ball, attack, 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 it's not just a football style. It's a way of living. Do you want to be the conservative figure? Do you want to be the one that Wait for things to happen, or you want think you want to provoke things to happen, and we are the type. He is the type that provokes things to happen because life is to be lived, in his case, to the full with his marathons and his Ironman and, and the kind of things, crazy things that he does. So it's a lesson in life, uh, and football, the best football, it normally is a lesson in life. Absolutely. Speaks volumes of the man and thoroughly impressive individual. Uh, Guillaume, you've been very good at your time. Just, just finally, I guess. Um, as we reach, I suppose, the halfway point in terms of to games played at the World Cup uh, and look ahead to the knockout stages, uh, who, who are you fancying at the moment? Like, Has, has your opinion changed in terms of favourites for the title from, from beforehand and from where you are now? No, I was quite impressed with Germany, so I'll put them in that list. Uh, England, I, I always thought they, they would have a chance. Brazil and France, I'm not that convinced about Argentina. Uh, they they emo- emotionally exhaust me. And everybody else who watches them live, it's like life or death, every game. How can you think properly what well, that's the case? So those are the ones. I don't see anybody else. I, I expected more from Senegal, um, even with Amane. I expected more from Cameroon. Um, 
but it's not happening in this in this tournament. You know, Serbia are doing well, they're solid, but not enough. Croatia a little bit too old. Belgium disappointing. I can I cannot see it beyond those that I, that I mentioned first. I'm missing the last 16, by the way. I'm going back to England um, for six days because uh, because we're United, the club I'm chairman of, plays the third round of the FA Bas. Right. So if we win, we are four games from Wembley. Oh, so brilliant. I need to be there. I need to be there. So I'm I'm ignoring the World Cup for for almost a week. Uh, going back home is the third of December. Wish us luck, and uh, and I hope that we can go to the next round. We play at home, by the way. If anybody's in Giggles, right? Three is the third at three p.m. Even though I hope that England are not second of the group because that's when England plays. Even will play. <laughs> I think they will be top of the group. But anyway, yeah. See you at the Kitsch Hospital Stadium if anybody is near Beagles, right? Brilliant. Well, hundred percent. You'll get out of the sun for a few, for six days as well, and <laughs> back home to some proper football. <laughs> uh, listen, that, I absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, Guillaume, Enjoy the rest of the tournament, and best of luck to your team in the in the FA Vaz as well. That will be incredible, an incredible experience, no doubt. Uh, and here's hoping you get to Wembley. But uh, thanks, as, thanks as always for your time. Thank you very much. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.